Yeah. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure your employer will be listening yeah. to this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I told him about it, and he was way excited. You know, he's a big bagpipe nerd like me. No, I'm just joking. But it just kind of keeps the, you know, when I open up my Gmail, because my, my work uses Gmail, too, and so it just automatically opens up my work instead of my Yeah, that way you can keep things separate. It just makes it easier to separate things. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm I'm getting more and more into Firefox all the time lately. I, I've been trying. It's hard for me. Look, Johnny, yeah. let me tell you. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna like unload my emotions on you right now. Um, okay, go, go. <laughs> I was I was raised in an Apple household. Like, okay. so like I like I also a religious household. And I'm not joking when I tell you that I equated Steve Jobs with Jesus Christ as a, and equated uh, uh, Bill Gates with the devil. When I was a child, oh which of course now having read like Steve Jobs biography and knowing about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, et cetera, I'm kind of like, maybe I had that exactly backward. But, you know, <laughs> as a kid, like we were like Apple and and that's it. There is no reason to use anything else. But this was, you know, late 80s and early 90s. That's funny. And that was before Apple. Apple's is. So basically the only thing cool that Apple had was just like the Mac. Oh yeah, that was it. That was it. All they had was the Mac. Yeah, we were just—it was just a computer world. Yeah. And so basically, like, it was just the basic same non-internet computer functions, but just slightly easier to find things. Exactly. That's all it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and and single-click mouses, which was never an issue until I started playing Warcraft, and then I was like, I need a right click. This oh is good. Gonna... <laughs> I grew up on Warcraft too. Yeah, me too. Like, I mean, I said Warcraft. I I never played Warcraft. Are you talking about like the, the the map like the multiplayer one? Like I I'm talking about like the '90s. Okay, I was a teenager in the '90s, and I'm talking about Warcraft. And like I went over to my friend's house, and we hooked up our computers together. Like oh yeah, with a yeah. cord. I did that with the cousin with my he's cousins. Like yeah, on the other side of the table, and yep. we're yelling at each other and. You know, that's the way to do it, man. It was I, so fun. It's so much fun. I still and Warcraft too. Like yeah, I'll tell you what, like. Back before the age of distraction that we live in now, all you needed was to, like to sit there and click on the peon like twenty times and hear all the things he said, and that entertained us. Like, yeah. <laughs> did you get the Did you get the cheats for Warcraft Two so you could have it play like the the Why do you keep touching me Warcraft rap and, and stuff like that? No, I didn't know. Oh, that. that's worth Although, looking like, up. I was man. totally into cheats on other games, like if they had them. I mean. Yeah, I remember. If I remember right, the code was disco, and then it would play this alternative soundtrack in the background, and it was this uh, medieval-inspired uh, Warcraft-themed rap song, and oh, it, it was excellent. I had a love-hate relationship with Warcraft and Warcraft Two because, like, I liked the game, I really did, but my friend was just so much better at it. Than oh he yeah, was. and like he would just joke around with me, like, and he would. He would play with me like he would he would like get me to think that I was winning and then like this huge force would just come out right of yeah and just oh annihilate me. and I like I just I could never beat him I don't know what the deal was and well we're good my, he's still my friend to this day so we're gonna maybe see if it's like online somewhere and we can go back and play it because I I I never really got into the next generation of games like the like the multi like the online games and stuff I, yeah I kind of got out of games but so I, I'm kind of like a '90s. I'm stuck in the '90s with my games. So we're we're good therapists for each other because I had exactly the same experience with my cousins. They were both far better players than than I was, but I still loved playing it a lot. And that that Warcraft Two battle chest with the expansion pack was the first oh game God. that I ever bought with my own money at oh Comp USA. Yeah, and 
I think I may have bought a few little games before then, but like the big one of my like I I didn't do a lot of bad things as a teen. Like I'm a, I almost I was a pretty good kid, but like one of my biggest like and it wasn't even like a rebellion thing. It was like you know when Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Two came out. Oh yeah, yeah. Like so I I grew up in Orem. Like I grew up in you know a religious family too, and so um, the predominant religion of our area. So yeah, um, and. Like, of course, parents didn't want you playing Mortal Kombat. Like, just the thought, like, ripping some guy's head off and the spines dangling there. I mean, it was just, <laughs> right, that gratuitous I mean, violence. But, like, to, to kids our age, though, it was like, the, the, like you can actually do that. This, this is right, like, the nothing coolest, cooler, this man. This is, like, the coolest <laughs> thing ever. And so, like, I saved up my money, you know, my summer job. And me and my friend, I finally had enough money. And we got on our bikes and we rode to Media Play. Remember Media Oh, Play? yeah. And... I bought Mortal Kombat 2. I oh I, I know I had one. What was one what, wasn't as what cool was the platform? I had, like, was I don't I even like remember. This, was it I Nintendo had, like, or Super... Sega Genesis or what well, what was it on? They had it on both. Okay. But like I was I was a Nintendo kid. Yeah. And so I kind of missed out on the blood of Mortal Kombat 1 cuz <laughs> if you remember like Nintendo they took out all the blood. Right, yeah. And so like it was still cool but it, like we were jealous of all the Sega kids because they had all the blood. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm not like my parents aren't going to buy me a whole Genesis just so I can get blood on Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> but then when Mortal Kombat 2 came out, like then we were like on top of the mountain because it had blood, had better graphics than the stupid Genesis. Yeah. And it was just like the best thing ever. Like, yeah. It was just, you know, that was a good summer. So. Well, I'm sure you remember when the Mortal Kombat movie came out. Oh, oh yeah, we watched it. Oh yeah, yeah, it was, it was way cool. I, I I remember watching it for the first time. It was like on, it was like on TV. It was like on Fox thirteen or something, you know, like with commercial breaks throughout and everything. And like, I was watching it like in secret because also my parents wouldn't, have, you know, didn't want me watching such <laughs> such terrible filth, you know. And, I mean, to this I, day though, like, yeah. I would go back and I would watch that. That was like total nostalgia. I mean, oh yeah, like Liu Kang was like, I mean, so like in the nine, like eighties into nineties, like martial arts was a big thing in movies right oh yeah absolutely I mean, I, absolutely Damme, some I mean, some would argue that it might have been uh like karate kid couldn't have happened if it weren't for the the oh, environment that already existed well like are you talking not the original karate kids like you're talking about like the the series now the cobra kai oh i'd, I'd imagine that cobra well, kai Co couldn't couldn't because like, like cobra kai couldn't karate exist kid, if I the meant, original yeah i meant the original i'm a, I'm a huge have, fan of karate kid and that came out, I think, what was it 84, 85, 86? Somewhere in there. Yeah, last half of the 80s, yeah. Yeah, and anyway, I grew up on those movies. That was kind of like my alternative religion. Like, I was a, I was a karate kid, and that was like around the time Ninja... So I was born in 81, so like toward the late 80s, like Ninja Turtles were oh, yeah. the thing. Yeah. And so I got into karate, and that's kind of fun uh, in a funny way. Not in a funny way, but just that's totally connected to my... Uh, how I got into bagpiping as well, and I'm sure. We'll yeah, that, that's but, um, that's absolutely like, a was, perfect trend. Yeah, I'm gonna hold on to that for later. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like way into karate and loved Karate Kid, loved Ninja Turtles, um, and so naturally, when Mortal Kombat came out and you could like, you know, see blood everywhere and do like terrible things to people, that was just <laughs> like the natural extension of my childhood obsession. Natural, and then not not to mention in, that growing soundtrack, in, man. growing into your like rebellious teenage. You yeah, know, martial arts obsession, right? And I feel bad for the kids now because like they don't really have good karate stuff. I mean, 
and like Cobra Kai came out, but that was more so like for all of like the people of our generation that liked Karate Kid for yeah. the nostalgia, you know? Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely serving us, not, not for the kids. That's for sure. Yeah. Like by which I mean, like it's not appealing to my children. <laughs> like it's only for my nostalgia really. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not really like a kid's show either because there's so much like adult stuff in it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's clearly made for, for people who are in their like thirties and forties. Right. Right. But I, I ate it up and I've, I've, I, I binged both seasons and my wife did too. And yeah we're wait so they've done two seasons right yeah no, I, two or three i th- i think only two but i'll, okay, I'll be yeah. honest with you i did not finish it's either like season whole, like i got started yeah. with that. i was like okay i get oh, it you it's know? good i mean maybe you're not as <laughs> as karate nerdy as i am but like i just i ate up the whole thing i loved it yeah you know? well it's powerful nostalgia and that it, and that it, it really but the thing of it it didn't it wasn't just the nostalgia like it, it actually stood on its own but then it it put in just enough of the nostalgia to make it tasteful and not like, oh, okay, they're just trying to make money and just doing it only with nostalgia. Like the the angle that they came at with bringing Johnny back with William Zabka, like he was really good. And that was a compelling character because they totally flipped it around. And then you're almost like rooting for, you know, it's almost like the anti-hero, right? Oh, totally. I definitely got that feeling like, like, okay, I don't like the karate kid himself anymore. You know, like he, he, I like, I like the bad guy now. Yeah. But then, and then it kind of, you see how Daniel is perceived as like this kind of arrogant jerk. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like this rich guy now and owns this car dealership has like this million dollar house. And, and yeah. So like you're rooting for, and what, isn't his car dealership like bonsai cars or something like that? Yeah, and so everywhere he goes, he gets to see the reminder of like who beat him in the tournament. And he can't like, I like who he's like living in the '80s still. Like he doesn't know what the internet is. <laughs> right. Mean, yeah. He knows what it is, but he doesn't really know how to use it. Right. Doesn't have a smartphone. Doesn't have Facebook. He, he, uh, the, these kids basically have to teach him how to like live in this century, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's and he's still driving like that old Trans Am and listening to the 80s rock and watching like iron eagle and <laughs> yeah did the did Just this cool. new series uh reignite the passion of martial arts within yourself are you well, uh, are you back to the it, dojo? it's like it's kind of a generational thing like i'll always be a martial artist and i actually went through and i did it for many years i got my black belt and like that's a part of me that will always be part of me but i haven't actively trained for many years and yeah it's kind of one of those things where like as an adult with you know, a family and children and responsibilities. It's like, I think it's important to do some things for yourself, but you can't like just do everything, right? You kind of have to pick and choose. And I've, yeah, yeah. I've kind of picked to hold on to continuing my piping passion and obsession. And the martial arts is like still part of me, but I think I'm going to like relive that through my kids because mm-hmm. they're getting to the age now where they really want to start taking karate. And, and actually the guy that taught me which will tie into my bagpiping story. Like also he still teaches. And so I'm going to have my kids go to the same guy who taught me starting when I was like eight or nine years old. So, (laughs) right. So, so I, I was aware of you because you're a very good piper before I think we spoke, but I don't know if we'd ever met. Um, when, if we did, it was just in passing. Cause I don't recall, like, I don't, I mean, I, yeah, I'm kind of the same. Like I knew, I've known of you because we like, know a lot of the same people, of course. Yeah, we do know a lot of the same people, and it's a small bagpiping world, so that's inevitable. But I, I actually, 
was pretty close. I mean, was or am to a lot of the people that you know very well. And yeah. So, so yeah. Well, including kind of those things where, well, no, go ahead. You know, you're around these people, but like you, you don't know everyone. Right. Right. You, right. You recognize their face. Like I'm sure I've seen you. Mm-hmm. And then, or you hear their names at the you know at the announcement were, table and stuff. I think like I really started becoming more aware of you when two things like you when you were your stint as pipe major of Garden Valley. So like I kind of I kind of associated you with that. And mm-hmm. then also I because I'm a gigging piper like you are, so I was aware of your online presence as far mm-hmm. as like getting gigs and stuff. And so I'm like, okay, this guy's trying to get gigs too so <laughs> so we're enemies no that's right yeah <laughs> and and this no, is just, and here's the here's the cut over to the karate kid situation it's just kind of a competitive market though i mean but like so I, so which I'm of us is cobra to. kai which of us is which of, which of us is cobra kai well, my name is gigs? johnny okay so there you that's go that's just a natural fit i'll be the bad guy so. <laughs> yeah well and so of course one of our mutual friends is our dearly beloved and, and much missed zach lee's and uh, and the, the, one of the first times that I became aware of your tie to karate was when um, at the pacing games a few years ago, Zach and Diana have had run the the piping competition a few times down there. Mm-hmm. And Diana thought it would be really fun to have like, are you familiar with the show MXE, Most Extreme Competition? Or like, uh, oh, what was that one called? Wipeout? It's just uh, like like ridiculous, ridiculous, like um, just like silly uh, obstacle course competition, basically. But uh, a, a lot mean, of... Not that, not that exact show. I mean, but you you get the no. idea, right? Yeah. You've probably seen uh-huh. something. Right, I've seen other shows. Yeah, so a lot of the uh, the entertainment for these shows comes from like this ridiculous commentary that is played over the competition. And so they thought, oh, it'd be really funny if we had like a couple of basically like Sattler and Waldorf kind of characters sitting off to the side of the competition circle, uh, giving like commentary, but it's like totally made up, ridiculous commentary. And, and so totally they had, um, yeah. yeah, totally does. Right. Fits. So, so they had Zach's big brother, Cody and I, uh, a couple years do this. Um, so we just sit there and like, you know, make up fake sponsors for each band, you know, in between bands coming out, be like, you know, uh, the, the, and we'd make up stories about the band members and the bands themselves as well. And, yeah. uh, and so one I of re- them, I think I remember some of this. Yeah. Well, well, one of them, like some of it we would just make up on the fly, but some of it, Zach gave us like little hints ahead of time. Uh-huh. I think this might have actually been the uh, it was probably the same year that Zach got into some trouble for uh, submitting um, Eric Avenhouse's name as one of the people who had passed away that year. And so he was read out. His name was read off. Uh, oh, I don't know how I heard this. It may have been brought up on one of the episodes that I listened to because I did listen to about yeah. a dozen or so. So I, I, I so I think I don't remember it when it happened. But yeah. I well, do remember hearing this story. Well, one of the things that he gave me was um, Johnny Knows Karate. And I, I wasn't sure which Johnny it was or anything. So just as your band came out, and I was like, and and ladies and gentlemen, look out, because Johnny knows karate. And that's that was my first. So, so then when you and I started talking, I was like, oh, he learned from Joe Perry. Well, now that actually does make sense. He actually does know karate. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you're making the connections. Yep. So tell me about that. Maybe uh, how did you find Joe Perry? Joe Perry, of course, is the he's got um, what's his dojo place? What's his training place called in Norham? Is it just called? So for years and years, um, it was United Studios of Self Defense, mm-hmm. and that was that's a national chain, more more prominent in like the Western U.S. But like it's a very he's been teaching since he was 18 years old right i understand he was born in ireland but he went to china and trained there right no he's not born in ireland oh i thought he was no but he's he 
he's he has Irish heritage. I see. Well, close I enough, mean, right? Well, <laughs> we're, we enough. were all born in Ireland in one way or another, weren't I mean, we? There is another guy in the band who I don't know if he was born in Ireland, but he has a house in Ireland. And oh he yeah, and a, he he goes and teacher, plays with the band and, there, right? Well, he instructs. He's like a really good player. I mean, really experienced, um, really good setting up bands and tuning, and so he's been instructing them for a number of years. Mm. And but the problem is, is that he goes to Ireland for the summer and he plays in a band over there. Well, right. I think he, I think he just retired from the band and retired from his career and everything. So he's, I think he was actually going to be moving over there on a more full-time basis. Oh, not over here, huh? Cause <laughs> that would have been he, nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that's, so that's, you know, that's going to be a hit for the band for sure. Um, and, and that Joe's band used to be the mountain to pipe band. Now it's the Thomas Cordner Memorial pipe band. Correct. And his dojo is now, what do you know what it's called now? Um, it's called Perry's Martial Art. Okay. So he decided to branch off. I mean, since he was basically so experienced, I mean, he had been teaching for so long and he didn't, I think it was just one of those things where like he just, instead of kind of taking orders from the higher ups, you know, he just decided to branch off. on. Just want to do his own thing. So I think he's, and then he also has the yoga studio. And oh yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. He, uh, he has like a strong connection to the Indian culture and he's very passionate he, he and his wife both are very passionate about yoga and um, they have a nice little yoga studio there called the yoga shala so. so he so Joe Perry is a piper I know he also plays Illin pipes with his uh, with Correct. his Irish yeah. band yeah so he's got a Highland pipe band he's got his little Irish group and he's got a dojo and you met him via martial arts right not via bagpipes or was it the That's other way right around? yeah so it was probably around 1989 I'm guessing and this kind of dates me. I just so I'm I just turned forty in January. I was born in nineteen eighty one. So, I I don't remember exactly. I'm just basing it off of the first trophy I ever got for martial arts was in nineteen ninety, mm-hmm. and I know I was a purple belt. So I I'm guessing I probably started in like eighty nine or so. And so, Joe was pretty young at that time. I mean, I think he was about twenty. He had been teaching for a couple of years, so he was just a young kid. But in my mind. He was the coolest person ever. I mean, he was, I mean. That's the perfect age to be like the oh, ultimate yeah. role model, like, right? He was like my hero. And, yeah. and it's kind of, he's kind of been like a mentor figure for me, like throughout my life. I mean, I mean, through the martial arts, through the bagpipes. And I still, and then I kind of got into yoga a couple of years back. And like, it's just kind of, he's always been there in my life as like a good friend and kind of like a, I don't know if mentor is the right word, but like. In a lot of ways, yes. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to get an interview with him, and so uh, you just keep going, and I'm going to send him this in this this episode <laughs> and say, "Hey, do you like my show? Will you come on it?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, he takes bribes too. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, he's a real. That would he's a, he would be a good interview, and he would have a lot of fun stories to tell about his story. For sure. Yeah. So he's yeah he's still a good friend, and I obviously I don't I don't. Uh, see him as much as I have at times in the past but you know I still just helped him tie on a bag a couple weeks ago and Mm. I I still you know I I live close so I just I pop in and still associate and in the last few years I have kind of gone back even though I haven't been like a full member of the band I have played a number of gigs with them and and, uh, kind of 
help them out when they were a little shorthanded a few on a number of times. Yeah, we had a lot so. of fun. Um, our our small band joined together with their small band to um go and do their uh they they always do that the flag uh thing. yeah the flag thing. So we yeah, went and did I that with them. Yeah, told it was nice. That. And I think I did that the year before, but mm. I couldn't I couldn't do that one, and so. Yeah, he told me that he got, got together with some of you guys as pipers. I don't know if you were there. or. Yeah, I did go. Yeah, and that, it was cool. a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah, that's, the that's gig the was fun, and also fun they're just gig, a yeah. fun group of people for sure. For, yeah, they really are. And yeah, they – and it's changed a lot over the years, but, you know, as far as who's in the band. But there's, like, the few pillars, you know, like there's many band that kind of remain through the years. Right, yeah. So did you, were you, do you remember being aware of bagpipes before entering his martial arts world or did you become aware of bagpipes through him specifically? Well, I mean, so bagpipes weren't a significant part of my childhood. I mean, like I didn't come from a piping family. My, my, the only real recollection I have is that my mom loved bagpipes at the parades, but Mm. it didn't really resonate with me necessarily. Um, I didn't really think anything of it. I, so I don't really have any early, early memories of piping or like wanting to be a piper as a small child. And, and even when I started martial arts, this would have been a couple years before Joe started on pipes himself. Like, Oh, I didn't realize that. He probably started about, I, I don't know exactly, but I'm guessing four or five years before I did. Mm -hmm. And so like the early nineties, early to mid nineties. Um, and I, started martial arts like say 89 or 90 so he wouldn't have even been a piper um at that time and i'm not exactly sure this is not a story that comes up a lot between us i'm not exactly sure what his piping journey was as far as how he came to the pipes um well hey i I knew who was i know whose instructor was and i know who his early band was and stuff but i i don't know what drew him into the pipes necessarily other than um, Scottish heritage. Well, this can be the teaser, like, you know, t- tune in, tune in in the future tune to hear to Joe, Joe Perry's origin Joe story. Perry. Yeah. He's, <laughs> it, that would be interesting to hear for me too. So, yeah. Um, but so no, I, so kind of what happened was as I took martial arts for a few years as a child. And, um, at one point when I was in about, I'll say fifth or sixth grade, I, I broke my arm, I broke mm. my wrist and had a cast on. For a while, and, and, and I don't mean to derail the story, but what kind of was, was it? Karate, uh, jujitsu, what kind of martial arts are a oh, mix yeah. of so, various um, styles? The style is called Shaolin Kempo, and it's kind of—I mean, it—it's a complicated history, like most martial arts. I can't say that it's just like pure traditional karate or kung fu, but like it has influences of a lot of different martial arts. Um, so there is a Chinese kung fu influence, but there is that kind of comes out more as you get more advanced and without getting too much into the weeds, like when you start off, it, it, it does resemble more so like a traditional karate. Um, and so like the belt system is similar to karate, like the geese are similar to karate. So, mm-hmm. um, and it does have an interesting um, history, which I'm not the, the biggest expert in, but I do kind of have a understanding of, but maybe, but just for the for our purposes, it's it's just it's a good like mix of a lot of different martial arts influences. There's some jujitsu in there, so like we do the grappling mm-hmm. um, or karate, kung fu. Like, so it's I, I think it's a well-rounded martial art, and 
But gotcha. I'm biased because that's the one that I learned. So. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Everyone says their martial arts the best, right? Right, yep, yep. And as a kid, you know, that used to be fun to, like, talk to your other karate buddies that were in karate with you and talk about how, like, Oh yeah, you could totally beat all these guys yep. from this other I, yeah. stupid karate studio. <laughs> See, when I was a kid, I did some wrestling, but I never did like like any anything like karate. But I do remember those conversations, like yeah. oh, like like trying to rank like which one was superior. You know, yeah. like like Wing Chun is down at the bottom, right? And then like oh, karate yeah. is up higher, and like well, jujitsu is always like vibe. The funny for thing is, is like like I never like said Wing Chun was at the bottom because I always associated Wing Chun with Bruce Lee. And it's true that like Wing Chun wasn't quite as cool because he didn't have like all the flashy kicks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but like, but Bruce, that was how Bruce Lee got started before he kind of branched off and formed his own style. And so I always associated that with Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee, of course, was like the martial art. You know, that's I had Bruce Lee books and studied up all about him. And yeah. I thought he was, you know, ob- ob- he, he was obviously before my generation, but still lives to this day you know as like the greatest martial art yeah artist of all time i mean i don't know how he would fare today in like the mma world where it's like the style now is so much more tested as far as like actual combat right yeah well he did have he he had different than he had bulging muscles that i don't even like aren't even in my body so i'm pretty he probably would have been okay but still yeah who knows right i mean pound for pound i mean that that term is thrown around a lot but pound for pound like it's hard for me to imagine in my mind, and I'm sure I've built him up greater than what he really was, but like, it's hard for me to imagine anyone like really beating him pound for pound. Yeah. But I, I do remember those conversations on the playground, like which martial art are you doing? Well, which one are you doing? Well, this one's better because of this. Well, this one's more pure because of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, but how did you break your wrist? You know what? I, I'm going to correct that. The, I did break my wrist, but that was later. Oh, gotcha. That was, that was a little bit later. So, I, I broke my ankle jumping off of the monkey bars on the playground at recess. Uh. And so what happened was, is I didn't, even after it healed, I kind of didn't really get back into karate for a while. I kind of, it's one of those things where like, you just, you know, once you stop, it's kind of, maybe I just, I didn't get going. I got into other things. I started playing more sports and, you know, I just kind of, not that I totally lost interest. I still liked it, but I didn't really get back into it for a while. Yeah. So, and so then fast forward all the way up into like, so past junior high, I didn't do, I didn't do karate. And then come high school. So I don't know. I don't know what, just for like reference, like what, when did you graduate high school? Like what generation are you in? I oh, mean, I graduated high school in 07. 07. Okay. So, so I'm quite a bit before you. So I was. Yeah. What we're like seven, eight years apart, something like right. that. So. So like what my teenage years was is more like your childhood. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyway, so Scottish culture all of a sudden had this huge resurgence. And I don't think I have to explain it to anyone that's my age, but with the movie Braveheart. Right? Of course, Braveheart. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that sounds really cliche to say that. And I'm almost embarrassed to even say that Braveheart caused me to start piping. But like Braveheart totally like some, it just struck a chord with me. Like and it did with a lot the, of people. The, the Scottish <laughs> yeah. culture. Like I just started doing a deep dive into it. I, I started doing book reports on like the, like research reports on the Battle of Bannockburn and William Wallace and all this stuff, you know? Yeah. And I started discovering my own Scottish heritage that I never knew about, probably because I just never cared about. It's not like, right. it, was hit, not like it was hidden, but I'm like, oh, do I ask Scottish? And I start, I, like, you know, my, my grandparents had this old 
genealogy book and I found, you know, like Scottish ancestors that came over like with the Mormon pioneers and all this stuff. And then like that was part of my story. My, so I really just started resonating with it. And the sound of the pipes on that movie just was just so amazing. I, so that was the first bagpiping that I really was exposed to where I really just, it just resonated with me. Mm. Like it just, like I just, I listened to that all the time. And, and of course I know now, obviously that wasn't even Highland Pipes, but at the time it was just such a beautiful music and it just so emotional. And, yeah. and I'm like, and I don't honestly know at what point or what thought I had that, you know, to make me think I want to play this instrument, but, but okay, I'm going to go back. And so at this point I did know that Joe played bagpipes because I actually did go back to karate for a little while during that yeah. period where I said I was taking a break. I went back for a short time. And, and so my first real exposure to hearing bagpipes in person, other than like in the parade or whatever was, so we used to do these karate retreats where we would go up to the mountains and this particular one i think was up so we would hike up rock canyon to rock canyon campground i love that and canyon yeah it's so it's one of my favorite places and so we would hike all the way up and then we would just have we would camp for like two nights or whatever and we would just have we would call it just a karate retreat we would wake up in the morning and do meditation and like tai chi and we would have masters fly in from like california or from out of state and just do these like teach us these things that we wouldn't normally learn about. So like, this was like a really cool experience that, and as a martial artist, it was one of the highlights, you know? And so, so by this time, Joe was early on in his piping and, you know, and I don't, I didn't, I wasn't really interested in it at that time, but he did in the mornings, he would remember, he would stand up on the picnic table there at the campsite and he would play his bagpipes. I thought it was mm. pretty cool. I didn't really think much of it, but that canyon is so echoey too. I bet yeah. that was really cool. I, I want to. I, I haven't never done it, but I definitely plan to someday take my pipes to that canyon just for the sake of hearing it bounce off right. those walls. So I wish I could say that, like, oh man, I just heard it and I just knew that I had to play, and it was like this instant connection. But honestly, like, I just was aware of it. Like, yeah, you know. And it wasn't until, and it wasn't until I was about. 15 or 16 that I really just became obsessed with the pipes like and so by that time I did know that Joe played and so I actually the first Scottish festival I ever went to was the Payson one and mm -hmm. this was before I started had a chanter or anything and, and Joe was there and I remember he was all dressed up you know had the jacket he had you know he had everything and he had he was doing some solos and I didn't know the grades or whatever, but like I just saw him and he had a medal and it was just like the coolest thing ever. And I, it was th that time, maybe slightly before that I kind of knew that I was going to do that. Like yeah. it just, just hearing, hearing the pipes there that day at the Payson Scottish Festival and, and I don't know, just struck a chord and I probably rode my bike to media play. <laughs> yeah. Once again, <laughs> and I remember play, yeah. looking for a bagpipe CD. Of course, this was before everything was online. Like they had the internet, but it was just very, you know, much in its beginning. This would have been the media play that was over there on what state? Is it university? University. Yeah. yeah. We, I used to go to that same store all the time. Yeah. I loved that store as a yeah. kid. It was so cool. They had all the video games, all the cool stuff. And mm -hmm. Anyway, so I know they had any CD, you know, there. So I went, looked for bagpipes. I looked for probably an hour until I found, I think it was like 40, 48, 
48 Highlanders of Canada or whatever. So yeah. it was basically like the Canadian military regiment. So you got lots band. of marches and Amazing Grace. But I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I yeah. like I didn't think I mean, I didn't think of myself as like a nerdy kid. I definitely wasn't like the coolest kid ever, but I wasn't like a nerd. Hey, you did karate. You couldn't have been that nerdy, right? <laughs> Not that nerdy, but I, you know, but like this is going to make me sound really nerdy. So like I just got that CD and I was so obsessed with it. I would drive around. OK, maybe I drove there because I must have been 16 because I had my license. And I remember driving around with the windows down and just blasting bagpipes. <laughs> Don't worry. Thinking I, was, thinking I was like so cool, you know, being at the red light and just like blasting the bagpipes. That's exactly what Zach and I did down in Payson at that yeah. age too. So don't worry. You're, you're in good in company, my, man. And it doesn't really even matter what other people thought because in my mind, I was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I even got my friend on board and, you know, and he kind of thought it was cool. And, and I almost like got him to start too, but, you know, he, he ended up taking a different path. But... But anyway, he was on board, at least driving with me down state, Dragon State with the bagpipes blasting. And we yeah. didn't get any girls that way, that's for sure. <laughs> Weird. You'd, you'd think, right? It's never made yeah. much sense to me why, why, why the girls don't get quite as excited about a guy who listens to bagpipes. Yeah, I don't know. And it, it didn't even necessarily, yeah. It, my, my wife tolerates it. <laughs> yeah. And my wife, my wife is really sweet, too. And she, she appreciates it, and she definitely supports it, and... And she, 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 she does appreciate it, but I mean, it's not like obviously her thing. So yeah. she's not just like listening to bag. She's not like listening to field marshal behind my back or right. Like, or or like, know. she doesn't like ever like wake you up and be like, Hey, go play your pipes for me. Yeah. <laughs> Although like she does think it's cool. So if there's ever an opportunity for me to play pipes at a certain thing, like where she's like, oh, you should, should get out your pipes. You should play your pipes. This yeah, like family cool. get like, together or something. Yeah, like she will encourage me to do it. So it's not like she definitely thinks it's cool in that way. Yeah. So she's supportive of that. And she definitely has supported all of my piping endeavors. And of course, you know, there's, it's always the tricky balance of like, you don't, you can't go overboard. You know, you have to balance life. Oh yeah. I, yep. I've experienced those kinds of ups and downs yeah. so many times already. Yeah. But, but between kids and, and a yeah. job and everything else. And mm -hmm. all spouses of pipers and drummers deserve a medal just because it's, it's a time demanding and cost costly pastime for sure. Yeah. Definitely like starting out you yeah. know, costly. Yeah, for sure. But then like, hopefully you get to a position where you can kind of you know, at least pay for your piping hobby. That's the gigging pay. man. <laughs> yep. It's, it's just an expensive hobby that pays for itself yeah. if you're doing well enough. <laughs> and yeah. So I don't want to get too sidetracked. So, oh, yeah, sorry. About, carry on. Yeah. I got into it. No. Um, so uh, you got your CD so, from media play, right? Yeah. Anyway. So by this time I definitely knew I was playing and I hadn't really approached Joe yet, but that was in, it was in my mind. I knew I was going to. And so I, I knew that there was this Scottish store in Salt Lake called Edinburgh castle. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. And that was the type of thing for me that was just like so cool because you go in there and see all the Scottish stuff. They didn't have like just online Scottish store. You know what I mean? Like right, they, prob yeah. they probably did, but like it wasn't the same as now. And so right. you'd go there and just be like immersed in all this Scottish stuff and it was The neckties, like, man. <laughs> oh, I had that. I got I got like a family tartan, yep, you know. Yep. And I, I got that from there and I had that for many years and until it was finally just too like too out of style. I don't know why, but <laughs> 
And so um, I got my, well, here's the thing is like, it was kind of expensive still. Yeah. And yep. I was still kind of a poor kid. And so it was like getting closer to Christmas. And so I, I, I had my mom buy it and I was going to get it for Christmas. And it was just like the practice channel with like the, it was like the Robert, she- like the RT Shepard right, thing. Right. And it came with the audio cassette tape. Yep. Yep. And so this is how I was going to learn. And in my mind, I was going to like kind of show myself some of the basics before I like bothered Joe to go teach me. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I didn't, I wasn't like really associating with him too much at the time. So I wasn't like seeing him all the time. He probably would have said, Oh, that was just getting started the right way. Right. right so, of course. Uh, in my mind, I wanted to like know a little bit before I went and asked him for mm-hmm. lessons. And so, so I remember like waiting for Christmas and I was just so like, I think every kid's probably like snuck their Christmas presents at some point. But like, <laughs> I, I remember we had this motor home and I remember like I knew I found where it was and I remember I got it. I got a tape player that had batteries and I went out to our motor home and I just remember like. I spent literally hours and hours and hours on end, like hiding in the motorhome, like <laughs> trying to figure out how to play like the scale and, uh, you know, that's so ba- funny. Basic, basic grace notes, like from this book. And if that's the kind of naughty thing my kids do, man, I'm going to be so <laughs> pleased. <laughs> well, the funny, like I knew, I think my mom kind of was keen. I was kind of aware of it. Yeah. You know, I think. But it was more so like, well, your dad's going to want to make sure that you probably just got this for Christmas and didn't cheat too much. Sure, you know? sure. I don't know. So I, I can't remember all the details. Like, it wasn't like really like this thing I thought I would get in trouble for. Yeah. But it was just like, I think my mom was just so pleased that I actually wanted to learn an instrument. And I was like totally self-motivated. Like, no one asked me to. Like, totally took them completely by surprise. No one yeah. in our family played pipes. Of course, my mom... She really, that was her favorite part of the parade, but we didn't have, like, we didn't go to Scottish festivals growing up, you know, like, it wasn't, like, part of our growing up, so. Sure, it's sort of a passive enjoyment, like, when it came to you, you would enjoy it, but not going out of your way to find it. So, needless to say, I mean, it completely took them by surprise, and it wasn't like, I didn't know about, like, pace in high school. It wasn't like our high school played bagpipes, and I always knew from the time I was a little kid. I've listened to several of your interviews and that seems to be like a common thing it's like well i always kind of knew that i was going to play pipes and mm-hmm. the high school had a band and so i started taking the junior high class you know yep and well and it, and to be fair though like that's that. partly influenced by my sample size right or my my sample group right which is my friends from payson so you know that's yeah to some degree that's definitely a part of why that comes up so much but yeah so so anyway at some point so after christmas i, I did eventually go to joe and he started teaching me and and eventually, you know, got a set of pipes and, and I didn't, I bought a used set and luckily they turned out to be good and they served me well for a few years. Do you remember what kind they were? Yeah, they were Gillanders and McLeod and I didn't know anything about brands at the time, but that was actually a good brand and they sounded good. They ended up cracking a lot, mm. but, um, so I couldn't quite afford the set that I wanted because my instructor played a set of nails and mm, yeah, back in the, like, I'm, I'm sure we'll kind of get into more of the nitty gritty, but I'm a total bagpiping nerd. Like I know all the bands, I know all the play, like I know the brands of pipes. I know the reeds. Like I'm just, if you weren't a nerd as a teenager, you've, yeah. you've embraced it fully at this point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Cause like, there's no like consequences for me being a piping or now. It's not like I'm not going to get the girls. I'm like, I'm already married. Right? You already so, got the girl. Yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, 
So, so bring on the bagpipes in the Warcraft too, right? Yeah. Set up the land. Yeah. I'm, I'm already married. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well, probably not playing as much video, like probably getting out of video games has probably helped me stay married. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know what I you mean know. there. Yeah. But, um, anyway, no, I don't want to go down that way, but because I don't want to insult anyone who who still loves video games because I, yeah. I, I, understand, I understand the passion. But yeah. um, um, so. Well, what band so, were you playing with when you first well, started? Well, so, yeah, that's interesting. So, like, at the time, Joe wasn't really playing with a band. So he came from a band called Akaradu, which is the Black Sheep, which is just... It, were they local? It, yeah, they were huh. in... I haven't heard they, of them. Yeah, I, they... By the time I started, they were no longer together. And, I see, I see. And I think it was may have been, like, a shorter-term type of thing. Yeah. Never, and that happens, you know, bands. I don't know, like, how fully established they were, but they did evidently compete a number of times. According I see. To the stories I've heard from Joe. And so by that time, there was no band. And so... And so actually, it, what are we talking, like, mid-90s or so? Well, yeah. So I think 90, the Christmas of 97 is when I finally ended up getting the chanter officially, even though I had probably started a couple months earlier on my own you know and i i could so be I, wrong but i think that's about when white peaks down south of you was established i think it was about that year yeah but maybe it was a year or two before but then so like what you would have had available would have been nothing in your immediate vicinity in orem right it would have been up to salt lake for the closest band right um, probably well, utah pipe it, band at that time like playing maybe in a salt band, Scott's. at that time playing in a band wasn't even necessarily in my consciousness is something that I obviously wanted to do. It yeah. was more so just like, I want to learn the bagpipes. Yeah. And, and I knew that I was going to go to Joe because I had such a good history with him and, and he was the only piper that I knew of. So, sure, yeah. so it was in my mind, it was more so just like, I'm going to learn the pipes. And so when I first started off, that's what it was. But, and he gave me a good solid foundation and the fundamentals and got me started in the right direction for sure. And, and I just remember like, so I had that CD that I still listen to a lot, but once I started taking from Joe, like, I think he had some recordings that he let me borrow and like a tape of the 78th Frasers live in Ireland. Like, and I listened to that and I'm, I'm telling you that blew my mind. <laughs> like, I don't know if you're familiar with that album, but like after just listening to like Rowan Tree and Scott and the Rave, like, and like Bonnie Dundee, you know. And those are great, of course, but if you yeah. weren't aware of what else could be done. Right, but like yeah. this, listening to this, and this is for me, first time hearing like a grade one band, but like this is probably what the rest of the piping world kind of went through because when they came out with that CD, like the 7, 8 Fraser Highlanders were trailblazers. Like they evolved the melody, I mean the medley into what it is today. Mm. Like before them, it was pretty much, they might play like an MSR, you know, but instead of playing like big four-parted tunes, they might play like some shorter two-parted tunes put together. And then maybe like a slow air that was nothing special. And then just like a couple jigs to end, right? Like, yeah. and I know that sounds like what a medley is, but, but they're the ones who really started playing the round style reels, like adding all the crazy harmonies, doing the waltzes, doing all the innovative stuff. And probably uh, to some degree, the sort of more, what'd you call it? Maybe like more advanced medley construction oh, where it's like uh, a relationship yeah. between tune and each tune and stuff like that. 
Yeah, like every like the key signatures were all planned. Like, so you had Bill Livingstone, Bruce Gandy, Michael Gray, John Walsh. Like all of these huge piping figures were just brilliant minds, and they're all composers, and they all contributed to the music that was going on at that time. Were they all in that band? They were. I did. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Dang, that's like the and, freaking all star team. There. Well, yeah, and so like on that CD, like Bill Livingstone has a. A Peabrook solo that he does, but um, Bruce Gandy has a solo. William Gray has a solo, and um, Bill Gray, or yeah, and that that music was just amazing. Like I couldn't get enough of it. Like, and I think it was at that point that like, not only was I like into piping, but like I was obsessed with this higher level piping, and I was just drawn to that, and I, I couldn't get enough. And so he gave me a CD of. Um, SFU's Alive in America and mm -hmm. Carnegie Hall Carnegie mm -hmm. Hall hadn't quite come out yet mm -hmm. that came out in like 98 um, or so that was like around the time I was you know getting started um, they were kind of doing the Carnegie Hall thing and stuff yeah. but the album that he had was Alive in America which was recorded in 96 after they won their first championship in 95 and that CD also blew my mind yeah and I, so all of a sudden I became an SFU fanboy. I mean, Jack Lee had a solo on there that he did things that I didn't even understand. Like I didn't have enough of an understanding of the scale and the embellishments to even understand how it was humanly possible that his fingers could move that fast. And <laughs> yeah. I had no idea what he was doing, but I just knew. Well, and this was audio only, so you weren't able to see yeah. his fingers. Yeah. And I knew that like that is what I wanted to do. Like, and so I just, and Alan Bevan, Alan Bevan, Andrew Bonar, they had solos on this, and and I would just became kind of a fanboy with it, you know, like yeah. I was obsessed with SFU. He gave me a a Gordon Duncan, no Gordon Walker, a Gordon Walker, uh, Pipers of Distinction, tape, and I remember he just one lesson we had, he just had me play that. He said, "Go home and play this." And just list, don't listen to the melody notes, but just listen in the background to the, try to, try to hear the grace notes that he's doing. And I remember it just being so like, just so mechanically perfect. Like you would just, yeah, it was just crazy. And I started hearing this, what was going on behind the melody. Yeah. And so these recordings really helped me kind of get ingrained in my mind what I knew it should sound like. And I, I think I think that's important. And that I don't currently teach, but I've done a lot of teaching in the past and that was always part of my right from the get go. Like I have an extensive collection of bagpiping albums and yeah. that would always be like every week I I would send them home with another C D mm. just to listen to, just to kind of I think that's so important just to get it cemented in your mind. Like what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah, what are you going you know? for? And I think it's easier nowadays with YouTube, obviously. And yes, that's everything. With my out students, I, I usually yeah. send them home with a link every week. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so when I was coming up, there was no YouTube. And so like, you, you pretty much just had a few albums and you really just listen to them over and over and over again. And so even to this day, like, I, I appreciate what we have now, but it's almost like, 
you don't you don't appreciate it because it's just anything you want to listen to is out there right right you don't have that experience where it's like here's this album now i'm going to listen to it 400 times over the next three weeks those (laughs) you develop like a personal intense relationship yeah that music that's so true yeah so like now i go back and listen to that album and like memories just come flooding back of like the thoughts that i had when that just inspired me like yeah that's all i had right and and so to this day like i don't i'm not like i don't listen to piping music like daily or anything like that but i mean i obviously still enjoy it and i'm obsessed with it but like it's for a number of years there it was just like that was all i listened to i mean that was just my music and i never i never tired of it and i know i know what you mean i've got there's there's a band called brother that did an album called blackstone tramp Mm-hmm. there's uh the wicked tinkers hammered and loud albums and mm-hmm. uh uh victoria police's master blasters yeah those three albums are three that i really devoured for years and years as a teenager that okay, like James, James, I, I'm, I'm really happy that you remember that it was victoria police not velvet yeah that was really awkward okay i'm, 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 I'm never gonna live that one down I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> actually you know i'm glad i brought it up here just so i could set the record straight i do know that that was victoria police <laughs> i remember like listening to it screaming like no because <laughs> yeah that was another one that maybe came into my consciousness a little bit later yeah um, you know but still equally important into that like early development it yeah. wasn't like it wasn't like one of the first but it was one of the in the first years you know so. yeah but yeah i can definitely relate to this like i have i do feel like i have a personal relationship with those four albums in particular because right. i listened to them to death right and like and it's like it's evergreen too it's not like i'm sick of them i still those are yeah. still my favorite albums to go back and listen to and and I'm going to throw in on top of that, like a few like folk albums. Like I remember it because at me, whatever media play had, you couldn't just go to like the Piper set and order. Or right. Yeah. There's obviously no iTunes. So it was Battlefield Band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Tannehill Weavers. Yeah. And, those are great bands. Yeah. Yeah. And great piping, too. Yeah. And so I was exposed to those bands early on, too, and had a couple of their albums. And that was in the mix of just piping that was on repeat and, and like, they're phenomenal. I mean, they've had different pipers over the years, but like the pipers that they had at that time, I don't think they've had any bad pipers, but you know, mm-hmm. the piping was phenomenal and, yeah. and fast and cool and fun and mixed in with the other instruments. And I just thought it was the coolest thing I've ever heard too. So. It, ha- having heard you list all of these uh, bands and individual soloists and the fact that you knew right. Uh, I mean, okay. Probably everybody knew that what we were talking about was Victoria police in that one episode, but uh, <laughs> all of this together, I want, what what was it that you told me that Bob Worrell once said to you? <laughs> yeah, you, you so, got to tell me about that. Yeah, so this was um, uh, playing with Wasatch and District. This was a workshop that we were at. He came in Salt Lake, and and I just remember he, Bob Worrell. Of course, you know anyone who's into piping and listens to the Worlds. I mean, he's kind of like one of the main piping figures, right? And we all and, know his voice. And he has stories, right? That's kind of what he's known for. He knows everybody. He's kind of had a connection with every tune, with every, you know, with every, I mean, not everything, but like he just has a story for everything. And so he was at the workshop and he would be, he'd start into the story. And I just couldn't help myself. Like I should have shown more restraint, but like then I, I would just blurt out, oh, and that's this and this and this and this and blah. Oh, oh, that's Donald Cameron's powder horn. Oh, that's Fiona <laughs> McLeod. That's Donald McLeod's daughter. You like, you know, like all this stuff. And I, he just like looked at me and smiled, and he's like, he's like, are you? 
I, I can't even remember exact the exact words that he said, but like basically the accusation that I was just like this huge piping nerd, and that's coming from Bob Worrell, yeah. who knows everything. <laughs> what are you, so some I, kind of I, piping I kind of, nerd? <laughs> I kind of wore it as a badge of honor, you know. Yeah, yeah, as you should. <laughs> yeah, Bob Worrell, if he thinks I'm the piping nerd, and so like, ever, it's kind of funny because the it's kind of more of like a myth now. It's like. Even people in Wasatch and stuff, I'll get random texts from people like, "Do you where where can I find this tune and this?" Tune and this tune? <laughs> yeah, and like it is true that I do know a lot, but like ever since I've started my family and got you know like basically grown up into an adult, like I don't, I'm not like going through piping books like every day, you yeah. know, like and so like I I would say like I used to know a lot more than I do now and so so maybe some, you don't have sadly, as sad, much of a like yeah. an index for every like Ross Ainsley or or like Lincoln yeah. Hilton tune like maybe the right. knowledge kind of starts to taper off a bit but still exactly you're still a bagpiping exactly. nerd man yeah and so I I sadly like have to like let people some people down you know like yeah. tell them, I don't know yeah <laughs> but but I definitely i definitely still qualify as a piping nerd and i, I do <laughs> like i I, ba I know the piping world pretty well and i can I know all the brands and reeds and pipe brands and all the top bands and most of the top players like i i'm just kind of it fascinates me the whole world of piping is kind of our little niche world i so i i still claim you know some session there and, well you know, we the, pas the passion's still there it just has to be manifested in like a slightly more balanced way where i can't come home from work and then tell my wife, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, listen to field marshal for seven hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Whereas like when I was single, a... I did do that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so. so, so you started playing, then you, you, you hear these great recordings from, from Joe Perry that make you, maybe those made you think I, uh, is that, did you make, did that, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> tripping over my words here. Did oh. that make you want to play with a band hearing that big band sound? Um, I can't really recall. And like, honestly, I don't really, I thought like eventually I would play in a band. It, it wasn't like really in my ambition to play for a band right away. Yeah. Like, but then early on, so it would have been, I have even the dates here. So like, this is kind of the history of the whole band that eventually evolved into become the Mount Tempanogos now Thomas Cordner pipe band, which which sadly most pipers in Utah probably aren't even aware exists because they're not like a prominent competitive band. Right. They don't right? compete much, but right. Um, but, so like that's, and that's kind of how most bands are aware of other bands. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. For the most part. So, so in, in 1998, there was a concert, a Celtic concert at Mountain View high school. And so by that time, uh, a, a piper named Ian White had moved into Utah and I'm not exactly sure where, he, I think it was from I, Alaska, I think. I, I can't remember exactly where he moved from, but I think he was, I think he was born in Australia, but he kind of grew up in Alaska. Hmm. And anyway, he was, he was a very good piper, like extremely knowledgeable, like his actual piping skills weren't that of like an open level piper like his hands, but his knowledge, like, of piping history. And I, like, really put mine to shame. And so he probably taught me a lot about, like, the Donald McClouds and, like, the history of, like, what a gold medal was, like, the Northern Meeting, like, the Glenfiddich, like, like, 
like the actual nitty gritty of like the piping world and like what the top level was. Right. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but he, so Joe Perry was contacted to see if he could get together a few pipers for this band. And so he brought in his instructor, which wasn't currently in a band anymore. Like he played together with him in uh, the black sheet pipe band, Gary Hall. And, and then another piper who you might have heard his name, Gareth McMillan, hmm. who kind of came up through like white peaks route for a while. Um, anyway, and he was kind of like a hotshot young piper at the time, about a couple years, maybe like a year or two older than I was. But, um, and then somehow, I don't know how they got connected, but somehow we got connected with this Ian White who had just moved into Orem. And, and, and so somehow the four of them got together and kind of just formed like a little mini band with no drums or anything and put together a set of some tunes. And I actually have this on VHS somewhere I, mm. I attended and I was, you know, heavy into my lessons at the time. And I think I had just got a set of shuttle pipes or something. I think, oh wait, or my highlight, I can't remember, but like I was still basically in practice channel, like transitional. Just transitioning. Pipes, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so like, I wasn't like able to play at this thing yet. Um, well, you got to dig that VHS so, up, man. That, yeah, that, we got to so, get this stuff on YouTube. I know. That belongs like, in a museum. No, I totally agree, and I've had that thought, and I do need to dig it up. And I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere at my parents' house still. And I Let know. me know if you need any help. Yeah. I've got all the equipment to convert oh. VHS to digital. So. Oh, my gosh. I have so much that could – like SFU concerts when they came to Utah. And I'm getting ahead of myself again. Like, okay, we'll, somewhere we'll talk or, after. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah, I mean, this stuff there is no other recording of. Yeah. Right? And I kind of heard that this is one of SFU's better concerts. Like, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that because that's another part of the <laughs> piping story. But, like, yeah. I don't know how much – okay, how long are we going to go on this? I mean – Oh, carry on. Let t Tell you what. My kid has a birthday party to go to in an hour and a half, so. Oh, okay. Well, we won't take that long. <laughs> but Because I just looked down at the clock, and we haven't even really got far into piping, and it's, like, already – Well, we had to leave room to talk about Warcraft 2 and a little space for media play. Okay. So don't well, I don't worry. know if anyone's <laughs> – I don't know if anyone's going to listen to this to get past all that stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe people our age, you know, will appreciate that. Right. But, um, well, you know, I'm older than you, but like in our same hey, generation. It, yeah. You know? we're the, yeah. It's, yep. like you were a 90s kid. I was a 90s teenager. Right. It becomes, and it becomes more the same thing. The further we move into geriatric territory, the more yeah. we're just the same thing. So, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had the the big 4-0 milestone a couple months ago, so I am I'm, I'm quickly moving there, <laughs> and so, well, so this little this this Celtic concert at Mountain View was this was the origin, and several other connections were made at that time. Um, uh, a harpist by the name of Gerald Dick, who kind of made a connection at this concert, became a piper in the band, started learning pipes. Um, at least another Irish dancer um, that kind of made an association at this band, because they, they, they put out a little booth, who wants to learn pipes? Or mm -hmm. They got several numbers and several, I don't know how many, but at least two or three other pipers that kind of eventually were part of this formation of this band kind of came out of this concert. And so, it was after this, it, some very casual meetups were kind of just put together where like, hey, let's start learning some of the same tunes. And this was the origins. And I don't remember 
all the details. But Ian White, I mean, he he was a very polarizing figure, and like he came across as basically like knowing everything, and this is the right way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and people, some people took issue with that, and I'm not going to name names, but like other people that are strong personalities that might have that same tendency to think they're right on everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so like he, so his name kind of got sludged through the mud a little bit. But I will say that he did know a lot about piping. Like he knew a lot about setting up the instrument, getting a good sound, reeds, um, playing well. Like the the fundamentals, like he was excellent at. So he kind of became the de facto leader of this little group. And there were several, I mean, it kind of went through an evolution. And I don't need to bore people with all the various stages, but... At one point, it kind of became loosely, this little informal group started growing, you know. Um, several people were kind of, became attracted to Ian, even from other bands that started taking personal lessons with him. And they kind of started coming to these little informal meetings. Um, and and the little group started growing and, and started getting a few other gigs here and there. And, and I remember like my first gig with the band after I was up on pipes would have been with this little group and it would have been about five or six pipers with no drummers. And um, so we started doing a couple of things. And, and, and Joe Perry, min- right? He was yeah, part of the and, group. Yeah, and Joe Perry. And yeah. so the kilts at this time were all mismatched, just like bring your own kilt. Mm-hmm. And I had borrowed a kilt. I didn't, you know, I had found a kilt to borrow. And so I, so by this time, you know, shortly after this, I had kind of started getting into doing a gig you know, with the mm-hmm. band. And so I was quickly progressing. And, and um, so s- I'm not sure all the details, but somehow it became loosely affiliated with BYU and became like a BYU piping club. Okay, yeah, think, I've, I've heard echoes of this. Yeah, and there was kind of like the intent that we were going to maybe get some sponsorship from BYU. And, and I've, I've, I've even seen like, yeah. I saw some, some, some sheet music, like some Xerox sheet music once there that, is, that yeah. said like BYU pipe club or something yeah. like that on it mm-hmm. that's so funny how like the sheet music makes it circles around the yeah community, you know <laughs> yep <laughs> i mean i have sheet music from so many different bands and many of them predate like even my getting into piping yeah you know? and each each sheet music could tell a story but like you know it's yeah you're right though like and that and that was the iteration of the band for a little bit and we started meeting at byu and they gave us a room and and i don't I, at that point i didn't really care about like the politics and like you know, the nitty gritty of like the club and like getting sponsorship or like, you know, you just want to make music. Yeah. I was just learning tunes and I was just loving piping. Like just, you know, and so I know at some point that it changed and that didn't quite work out. But by this time we were bringing in many other like pipers from other bands, Mm. like particularly like several from the Salt Lake Scots, some from white peaks, like, and they were taking lessons from Ian and they were coming to these little informal meetings. And at this time it wasn't really like a threat to other bands necessarily because we weren't anywhere near like having uniforms or drums even, you know, right. <laughs> competing. So it was just kind of like, Hey, this guy knows a lot about piping and, and he can really help us, you know? And, and he just kind of had that kind of leader personality, you know, we all kind of, just kind of defaulted to him as mm-hmm. you know Ian White and we the I, I kind of say this with hesitance because you know like 
in, I don't want to say anything negative, but like he, I think, you know, we all, we quickly kind of understood that like maybe some of the stuff he said wasn't, you know, we kind of took some of it with a grain of salt. Like he liked to exaggerate stories. Sure, and kind sure. Of make things, you know, and I think we all do to a little bit maybe, but he maybe took it a little farther than some. But well, and there's, I'm sure there's something to be said for like sort of the psychological phenomena of being in a place where you've never lived before. And so it gives a, a person sort of like you have yeah. more freedom to do that kind of thing. And yeah. so it's easier to slip into that. And so like I just want to be careful like in a I'm saying this in a public forum. It's just like I don't want to I'm not criticizing him. He was actually a very good mentor to me, um, teacher to me, taught me a lot. And I am grateful for everything, you know, that he mm-hmm. contributed to my piping journey. And so, so I, I, you know, I don't really have too many more details other than we were bringing in other pipers and some of them really good. And another piper that was kind of prominent in my kind of getting passionately into the competitive side of things was um, Ian Crane, which was a longtime piper. He was, I'm guessing he was like maybe four or five years older than me. So I like, maybe even less, maybe like three or four. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But so he had, he was coming in and he was a really, really good piper, like really good. And I kind of formed a a quick friendship with him and he, he kind of started mentoring me and we, you know, he, he kind of became like, just kind of like this guy that I would go to and play for and he would help me get better. And kind of in more informally not with like formal lessons yeah but but like i heard what he was doing and it was more so though his passion like he just has such a passion and he his goal was to play to get get up to grade one he, this time he was like a grade two soloist but he was like a top grade two like he i mean winning things winning everything right yeah and i but his he just had such a goal he wanted to get up to grade one and and the way to do that, so he told me, he's the one who kind of taught me about like what it was, what it meant to do solo competition. So, mm. so fast forward to like the next year. So I've got like a whole nother year of experience. Haven't done any competing yet, but 99. So the, the early part of 99, I don't remember what month exactly, but like around January to February somehow. So one of the pipers that was kind of involved with this little BYU pipe club thing was um, Jim Detjen, who was a, another phenomenal player, like like grade one level. Um, and somehow, I don't know, I, to this day, I don't know how this happened, but somehow through connections or whatever, like they made it happen to like SFU came down, they brought a mini band down mm. to BYU and they did a concert in the Wilkinson Center and then weekend workshops. And to this day, like I pinpoint those workshops were so formative for me, not necessarily for what I learned, although I still do several of the things that I specifically knew I learned at that workshop. But it was like, for me, with what I've explained to you with how obsessed I was with piping with like these CDs and these were now like my, like my rock star heroes, right? Right, yeah. And so getting to meet these people, like to do workshops with them, like my first real exposure to, I would, part of my journey is like really becoming passionate about Peabrook, which is the, you know, the ancient traditional classical music of the pipes. And so Mm -hmm. I had been exposed to it a little bit before this, but I could pinpoint the workshop I took with Alan Bevan there in 99. Um, 
really going through learning my first P book and but like it wasn't even really what he taught. It was just learning it from Alan Bevan, who is now the current pipe major of SFU, but who's been with the band since uh, 96, I think. And he is just a phenomenal player. Like, I just looked up to him so much, and I was a total fanboy. So, like, here I am, like, learning from him, talking to him, asking him questions. Like, yeah. it, was just a, it was just a dream come true. And, like, like, it was just really fortunate because I wasn't in a position to, like, go start traveling to, like, do all these, like, other workshops out of state and stuff. But they just came to my backyard. Right. And all of a sudden, here's Jack Lee teaching a workshop. Yeah, how do you we know, get that to Ter- happen again, yeah, man? <laughs> yeah, Terry Lee, um, Neil Dickey, who's probably best known for many of his tunes, like The Clumsy Lover. He was a yeah. longtime piper in SFU. At this time, I don't think he was an active piper with SFU, but still a very prominent piper. And he still he he has been one who has emceed all of SFU's concerts going back for many years. Mm. Yeah, so, so I, I think that that's exactly what I was thinking. I think that I know his voice from right. from some albums. Yeah, right. And so, but he is a very, you know, he's a very amazing piper in his own right. And and so t- remember taking like a hornpipe class from Neil Dickey. And like, I mean, just these. I can't even put into words like what this experience meant to me. Like. But then hearing SFU, and this was just a mini band. I don't, I can't remember the number of pipers, but I'm guessing like eight to ten, with mm. like a smaller drum corps as well. And this was, this would have been in the Wilkinson Center. And hearing that sound just pierced me. Like, it, I mean, I've heard it on the CDs, but if you have, to any of the listeners, like if you have not been out of Utah and heard a grade one band in person, like there is nothing like that sound and it does change you. Like, yeah. And so I, this, and this was just a mini band, but the sound that was coming out of that band was like nothing I'd ever heard. And it blew my mind. Yeah. Like, and it just, if, if I even needed another kick in the right direction to like fuel my piping obsession, like that was it. And it did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't doubt it. It did. I, I mean, and, and then like, so I started competing this year and, and, oh, I also, so at this workshop, I also got to take a number of individual lessons, like from Jack Lee, like one-on-one going over my tunes and stuff. And mm. this was just so cool. I mean, I'm not going to beat the horse again, but like, yeah. So, so fast forward into this summer. And so here up comes the, um, the Salt Lake Scottish Festival. Which and and you're fired up, right? Yeah. So which at the time was in Murray. And by this time, like I am just ripping tunes on pipes and like, I'm just practicing and practicing and practicing like, okay. So at this point I would have been a senior a senior in high school by this point. And so by the time the Scottish festival came around, I would have just graduated. So. And so, and so also you've got no time for like girls, drugs or nefarious oh, activities. No. I, you are yeah. a bagpiping man I, at this honestly, point. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. I honestly girl, I wasn't like a ladies man in high school, you know. So like I didn't really have many distractions and so I knew I was going to do this solo competition and that was going to be my first competition and so I just worked my butt off and came the day or whatever and and you would have been soloing grade yeah. 4 or grade, yeah, grade 4. Yeah. Just that was the default. Right, I don't think yeah. they I don't think they had Chanter at the time, but I was already well up on pipes. By yeah. Then. So, so I just did grade four, which would have been a slow air and a two four march. Mm-hmm. And 
So by this time, uh, another famous piping album that many of your listeners would have heard of, the Carnegie Hall CD from SMU. Yeah, of course. Out. And so, like, Stuart Little was already a well-known piping figure by that time, 98. But this is really what made him, like, worldwide known in the piping mm. world. I think he had a solo on there, with, which was the Blue Cloud and yep. Lucy's Apron. And probably one of the most iconic bagpiping solos on any album. that's why those two songs were the yeah. first ones that i independently ever chose to yeah. learn like it was so like oh you know gotta learn those two songs you know exactly what i'm talking about yep. <laughs> and to hear like the crowd erupting like you know after that it was just like at carnegie hall i mean he just took the whole house down yeah <laughs> you know and anyway yeah. so so this is kind of a funny story so he would have been joining SF. He would have joined SFU in '98. This would have been '99. So, the judges were Stuart Little and Robert McNeil. But I didn't know what Stuart Little looked like. I had never seen him. Mm-hmm. Right? No YouTube. You were probably imagining a cute little white mouse. Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea. And so, like, I go up for my first competition, which was the Slow Air, and I played. I remember I played Miss Covered Mountains. And this is another thing that's on a VHS somewhere that my mom or dad recorded. Yeah, got to so, get that one in a museum yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, the funny thing is, is I actually played really well. I mean, I ended up winning the grade four on my were, first Was try. this, um, were you the only one playing Miss Covered Mountains at the time on at that competition by chance? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I really I, don't there's know. nothing wrong with the tune. I love the tune. And I, and I have had a lot of my students, that's the one that I've said, like, hey, this is a cool tune. It's a good one to start with for your soloing. But I do sometimes yeah. wonder, like, how many times has every judge well, heard okay, this tune? So, <laughs> so a lot. Yeah. And it's okay because it's a good tune. But totally like, here's okay. The, yeah. Here's the thing is, like, I was passionate about it because that was one of the really cool slow airs that was featured in one of the medleys on that 78th Fraser Live in Ireland CD. Do you think that's why part of why it's so popular? Is it because it was Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously that's an iconic album. Yeah. And so like hearing it there as part of one of the one of their medleys. Yeah. I believe it was like leading into like the little cascade played Mm. and like and they they throw in a slide. Like, and that just did not happen. That doesn't even happen today. Now, Inverary is starting to throw like a couple slides in their medleys, but like only bands with enough clout can sneak it in. Right. (laughs) But like, but 78th was doing that in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, and and infuriating many of the stalwart traditionalists. (laughs) Well, and they, this is the same with SFU. I know like 78th always gets all the credit for being the first overseas band to ever win the world championships. Mm-hmm. And that is true. Like no, no one can ever take that away from them. But SFU under the leadership of Jack and Terry Lee started in 81 and they started immediately going over to the worlds and the mid eighties are full of performances that probably should have won the worlds from SFU. But they and were ahead of their time. So, so this was when Strathclyde police was, making their run their their famous run of six world championships in a row and mm. you know um and sfu i don't even like most piping historians like that were around at the time which i obviously wasn't around at that time for like but just from everything that i've heard they should have won at least a couple times yeah but then it wasn't until and the 78th were also coming out at this time and it wasn't until they were just literally like so much better than everyone else that they had to give it to them. Like they had no choice. Like, like it wasn't like before, like they probably should have given it to them, 
But now the 78th came It would have been embarrassing if they didn't. 87, (laughs) like it would have been, yeah. Like all the credibility would have been taken away. Yeah. (laughs) And so they, they gave it to them. And then, and then SFU became the next band and that didn't happen until 95. So from 87 to 95. And then they won it back to back. 95 96 I am I am, I am double che- I am I'm fact checking you on Wikipedia right now and you're hitting it all 100% oh, yeah. so well, far. Oh yeah, I know this. That's why it's coming out like I I know this. You wrote this Wikipedia and article. And so and it was it could also be argued that later in the 90s that Victoria Police could have or should have won it several times, but they didn't win it until 98. Yep. And then SFU came back again and won it in 99. And that brings us to where we are now. So like meeting with SFU, this was early in '99. So would, would it be would it be embarrassing if I were to just ask you like uh, who won in 2003? Would you remember? No, th- that wouldn't <laughs> be embarrassing. So so SFU won in 2001. 2002 would have been, um, I believe, Field Marshal. Yep, yep. And 2003, I believe, would have been. Um, Shots. Yep. <laughs> That's 2004 right. 2004 <laughs> would have been Field Marshal. Yeah. 2005 would have been Shots. Yeah. 2006 and 7, Field Marshal. 2008 and 9, SFU. Yep. That, 2009 being the last time SFU won. Right. So staying at 6 for quite a while now. And 2010 would have been um, the St. Lawrence O'Toole. And 2000, starting in 2011, it would have been Field Marshall's run of four in a row. Right. And I was privileged to hear that first of the four in a row. Because oh, is that when that's when Wasatch was over? Yeah. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So. <laughs> I just wanted to see how far you no, could go. That was I, fun. <laughs> no, I, I, like I said, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. <laughs> Bob Worrell was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I guess I'm proud of it, I guess. I mean, I no, there's no real benefit of being ashamed of it at this point, right? So. Yeah, you have every right to be proud of it. You own yeah. that, man. Okay. Um, so, okay. So I did my first competition, and then no band. By that point, like, the, the little group, I don't know if it was still associated with BYU at the time, but, like, it probably it, But I do know that they, they didn't have, like, a competitive... Piper-wise, we could have done it, but we didn't have the drum corps. That's always so, the challenge. Yeah, yeah. need to treat so, our drummers better so they'll stick around. <laughs> so I just did the solos. And and so let's go back to my association with Ian Crane, who was with Salt Scots. And he he was on a mission. He wanted to get upgraded to grade one. And here I am just starting out in grade four. And so he quickly became a really good friend. And so that year, we went, just the two of us and maybe like once or twice someone else came with us like we just started going on road trips like by this time i'm graduated okay i should be starting probably college but that was not even on my radar you got this bagpiping thing to do okay yeah like i know this is gonna sound so irresponsible but like i was just so into this and i kind of knew in my mind that i was gonna go to college that was never in question but like so i come from you know the the lds background so like that's going to be part of it. Like I, so I, I did end up going on a mission in the next yeah, year. Yeah. There's plenty of mission talk on this podcast. So like, don't worry yeah, about that. Yeah. And I don't want to spend too much time on that, but that is just part of the journey, you know? Yeah. So for two years, that was a thing. So, so anyway, so I knew in my mind, I wasn't really going to go to, I didn't want to go to like one semester and then, and two then years leave, off. So I was, yeah, in my mind, I was years. just going to start after. So like, I just yeah. had nothing else going except for like 
a little bit of work to make some money and then just go on all these epic trips. <laughs> to and make like, some money specifically to spend on bagpiping yeah. trips. <laughs> and so we went, like we went all over. I think my next one would have been like a week or two after the Salt Lake ones. We drove down to San Diego. And so this would have been my first experience of like going outside of Utah. Playing. Yeah. And then, you know, we went to uh, Estes Park and that's like, I could, I could spend an hour just talking about each one of these because we had just had the funniest things happen. Like our, our van borrowed my mom's minivan. The transmission went out coming over the mountain down into Estes Park. We mm. coast, we basically coasted into the parking lot <laughs> of the grass field and then the car didn't move after that. Oh man. We were stuck there for like all week, like eating like seven layer burritos from Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's just part of the fun. I mean, like at that time, like I didn't have any responsibility. So like, you know, we, I remember like flirting, me and him flirting with like the hotel clerk. And like, I'm not a ladies man, but we were trying to get like a good deal on like a cheap hotel room. So right, yeah. somewhere to sleep <laughs> you know? until, until we figured out a way to get out and, of there. And did you and, lead with, Hey, my buddy here's a grade two competitive piper, but he's on his way to grade one. Yeah. If you want him to play Blair Drummond for you, <laughs> right. he will. <laughs> That'll get you a free hotel room he's anywhere. A, he's got a wicked burl. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And that's like our mindset. And so that's kind of how I became like the nerd that I am. And because like he was such a nerd too. And like, and we were such good friends like for that time. And we, yeah, so we went to like down to Tucson. Like we just went all over. And I, I started doing all these solo contests and, can't say I won them all, but I did win a few, a few. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I got a good start into my solo competitive, um, career there. <laughs> and so fast forward a little bit, you know, to the next winter 2000. So I don't know how they pulled it off, but SF like, I, apparently like the, the 99, that was kind of like their trial run. Cause SFU was doing this long string of like, highland arts festivals where it was like a major event like they they picked a destination they went there they would do a concert they, they would not only do workshops but they would bring in fiddlers irish dancers like the best in the world like mm -hmm. are you familiar with like natalie mcmaster oh the, yeah the, the cape yeah. breton fiddler like sh i was aware of her at the time as well like had some of her cds like they brought her in this was in 2000 wow. they and that was they, here in utah yeah, they brought in Battlefield, <laughs> Battlefield Band. Like the, you're, you're you know, telling me about the, all these things. I'm like, why didn't I know about these things? I should have I, been there. <laughs> I don't know. This was like the most formative uh, thing in my whole piping life. Yeah. Like, they came in. Like, remember I told you about Battlefield Band? Yeah. They yeah. brought in Battlefield Band from Scotland. Like, they played a concert at the Provo Tabernacle, which has since burned down and become the Provo Temple. Right. And at this time, it was the Tabernacle, and they had a concert in there, a Battlefield band. And I had, really I did like, go to some shows there. That was a cool venue. Yeah. And this, I was just totally geeking out all over again. Not only SFU, not the minivan, but the full band. Man, and, and not they, only did they, they come to Utah, but they came right down to Provo to your backyard. Yeah, to, like to you didn't, you didn't even have yeah. to drive to Salt Lake to see them. No. And they had just won the Worlds in August. Oh, I will say, like, okay, go back, fast forward back to '99. One of the trips we went on was to Pleasanton mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I actually kind of just kind of crashed in the Salt Lake Scots room, you know, cause I was, Ian was playing with Salt Lake Scots and I just went as a tag along and I just tried to stay out of the way, you know, yeah. <laughs> I went to do solos, but SFU came down to Pleasanton that year and 
this is another trans. I, I, how many transformative experiences can I have? <laughs> okay, so this is the first time hearing SFU, hearing a grade one band compete in a competition. And, and actually the first time hearing a full grade one band, like SFU yeah. at their full strength because right. they had just won the Worlds literally like two, I think Pleasanton's like two weeks after the Worlds, maybe three. But anyway, here they are at Pleasanton. All the Pipers, full yeah. drum corps, everything. Full drum corps, yeah. Reed Maxwell, you know, like, and I remember like, at, if you've never been to Pleasanton, it the competition is not out in the middle of a big field like they do it here in Utah. It's like there's stands on three sides and then like then what happens is they march in and then they quick like the steward will quickly rope it off mm -hmm. and then people will just fill in and so you are right up right next to the band especially the big bands yeah and they spread was, they spread that circle out I've, you can feel the air from the drone I mean drone. I I don't know how many times I've played at Pleasanton with like Wasatch and I mean but it's always like it's always one of the best competitive experiences because like the the crowd is literally right there yeah like and you are just in the mix and you're not like out in the middle of a field somewhere. So anyway, so we found, I somehow, we somehow me and Ian, we snuck up right to the ropes or whatever with SFU coming in. And I remember marching into their SFU. I, I remember this specifically, like striking into their MSR, hearing that E and then hearing SFU march right by me where I could have like reached out and touched Jack Lee on the pipe sergeant <laughs> side. Like yeah. I, my arms are long enough. I probably could have reached out and touched him, but like yeah. that's how close the sound was. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. The sound of SFU marching toward me playing Lord Alexander Kennedy, like the power of that sound. That's that wall of sound. Again, right there, yeah. was like nothing I had ever heard. And yeah. like, even though I had heard the mini band and I had heard all the CDs hearing this sound, like, Oh my gosh, like it was like nothing else. I yeah. mean, it was just insane. Like totally mind blowing. Again, I know I, I keep throwing that out, so it's not gonna mean anything, but like I kept having this experience. It's, it's just like, okay, if I wasn't already passionate about it, I'm even more Right. Okay. Yeah. It might I, reignite. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm doing this because yeah. like even talking to you about this, it's like making me want to go practice right now. <laughs> right. It's firing you <laughs> up, right? Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> And like, I'm still doing a lot of playing, but like, it's making me want to like get more into it than I already am right now. Cause like just reliving these experiences, which I haven't really talked about for years. So, well, it makes a lot of sense. This has been the worry that has certainly come across my mind. And I think a lot of people with the COVID-19 thing, canceling the worlds and so many competitions, it's that one great experience is certainly valuable, but you kind of need to keep having great experiences to keep yeah. that fire lit. And so if we have a lot of pipers and drummers who maybe are just getting started out and then mm -hmm. COVID cancels all the competitions, there's no more getting together, yeah. even for band practices and stuff, that fire can go out. Well, I think anyone who says that that's not going to happen a little bit is probably naive. Like it, we will lose a few, but mm -hmm. I think also at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if we gained back a few that have taken a break and like that have been now after COVID's done and just, I think there's going to be so much excitement just to go through the mundane things of like a <laughs> That's a, You would like make a good a point. That's like, a very, you know what yeah. I mean? Like a parade yeah. or a, yep. just a Highland Games. Like there's been several times throughout my piping career that I've been so burnt out, like where I just did not even want to be at the games. Like yep. I wanted to compete, like I wanted to be, but like, I just had no interest of being there. Oh, right? I know what you mean. Like, like yeah. sometimes you're like, could I just show up in my shorts, man? I I don't want to put yeah. on my socks one more time. Gotta when it's like, I mean, on. in Utah, like, you're it's like basically a hundred degrees. You know, you're in your kilt. You're sitting there all day. You're dehydrated. Yep. You're sunburnt. You know, it's like, 
like it's not necessarily a pleasant experience. Right. But so could could we just like, rent like a like a hotel conference room and just yeah. play in our jeans? <laughs> but I, I have a feeling that like after this um, COVID, when we finally start getting back in person, like there is going to be a time where people are more excited to do the basic things that we took for granted. Right. It is a good point. I think that that's very true. Like like we had um, we had uh, we, we have pretty low numbers right now in our band. Mm-hmm. And we, we're probably not going to hit competition numbers for the pacing games, which they are planning to push through this summer. And our pipe major asked us, he was like, hey, d- who wants to play? And pretty much everyone was like, even if we're just doing it for a crit, let's play. You know, like yeah. we're just desperate to go play. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and I kind of lucked out a little bit, like with Wasatch, we kind of kept going through the storm and we kind of kept, we took a little break right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then like as soon as we could meet outside, we started. So we had rehearsals all through covid and well we tried, and we tried to be responsible like we didn't do a lot of like hands-on with reeds manipulating and blowing each other's pipes like right. obviously like and like at the level that our band's at you know the pipe major ross he's just like you know you need to flatten your f just a tinch you know and like right. we just do it ourselves right yeah. so like we tried to be responsible we had hand sanitizer for tuning drones and stuff you know but it's just like we kept it going and then we ended up doing like a pretty well received concert that was a stream live stream oh i watched that that was great yeah. man yeah so that was kind of and i don't doubt that it would have been well received anyway it probably would have been enjoyed by everybody anyway but i i wondered like to what degree where it was like this dearth of what you could like like we were all locked down worldwide yeah. you know and so then <laughs> here comes this shining light from wasatch and district i i don't well, that might have contributed yeah, in, a little in, bit in too. any <laughs> other year it would have flown right under the radar yeah but as it was with nothing going on i mean we got shout outs the big rab was like reading yep. about i mean like yeah and this was nothing special like in the grant, like when you have live in a world of like field marshal and inverary, right, right. SFU. But it was content in a, in yeah, a content-starved content. world. And yeah. even like the the chanter rant said it was like maybe like the win of the year or something. Yep, I mean, yep. I mean, you know, they do the win of the week, but That's they were right. like, oh, this let's just give it the win of the year, you know, because last year sucked. Yep, and there was nothing, and and so that was kind of cool. I mean, to, yeah, so we kept it going. It was and good then, on its own anyway. Yeah, so so then, not to, not to say it wasn't so, a great concert. It was really great. Yeah, by that time. You know, I think that was October. Like, so basically we were, after that concert, that was the last time we met until, I don't know, about a month ago. So Well, and it's this this yeah. episode is going to go out in a in a, at least a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. So it might be that yeah. once people are listening to this, that we're in the middle of everybody celebrating and being back together with their bands and playing. And I stuff, hope so. And you'll be proven a profit. So. Here's hope. And actually, I don't, I don't. I don't, I guess there's no real reason to keep it a secret, but like we're, Wasatch is actually planning like a, a cross country trip to a games that we know is happening on the East coast. <laughs> like if nothing else happens, like, we're going to make it the, to that one at least. And Yeah. And this is like a little bit later. It's going to be in October and it's one of the big games on the East coast. And cause we just want to do something like we need yeah. to keep our, we need to keep our players engaged. Right? Yeah. You got to keep and, that fire burning. And I know every band has taken that approach differently and some people are just using it as a break, but you know, I don't know if there is a right way cause there's no precedent. Right. Sure. So, but I, I do kind of feel that like once we get through this, that there will be, we will lose some because like once people, once people learn that there's other things that you can do like every Thursday night or whatever, besides, <laughs> that's true. Like, that's you know, true. like yeah. your life can fill up. So like, I think we will lose some, but I'm hopeful that we'll gain back some that, 
that maybe once you can go out and start doing things again, like, oh, I'm, I'm all cooped up. Like, I want to go out and pipe again. You know? Well, and there definitely you know, have like, been, maybe it's because of being stuck at home and looking for something to do. I know that, like, our band's little, our little class that we do, we've been trying to put it online. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it, it got hot with COVID, you know, like more and more people who had never played before were like, I want to learn, you know, so we might have an influx of new pipers and drummers as well. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, I really hope so. And, you know, all you can do is just be optimistic, right? I mean, like, just hope for the best. And I think there'll definitely be, like, the diehards that will come back and be more passionate than ever. And if you lose some, that in the piping world is always losing players, like, right? Yeah, So, I mean, it's sure. just, it's an ebb and flow. And The maybe, boundaries are porous. Maybe, like, the new incoming players will not be quite as strong as it would have been in a healthy year. Like, we'll just have to deal with it and move on and mm-hmm. and try to try to maybe some of this technological stuff that's come out of it will actually help people be more involved. Like yeah. for I, for example, like I haven't been involved with solos for years, but I have started going back and doing some of these online things. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and if it, and that's been like a great experience to get like the feedback and not only that, but like to have something to motivate me to practice. You got something you're working toward. Mm-hmm. Yeah put a date on the calendar and actually work up to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is kosher. Can we, is there any way to like pause this for a second or something? Oh yeah, totally here. What I can do is just give me one Hello, second. Friends. Clap. Just a quick note to make you aware. This podcast is something that I love doing and I will keep doing it no matter what. But if you want to send me money, I won't say an A. The easiest way to do that is through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash droning on podcast. We do regular drawings for bagpipey albums, books, sheet music, and more, including droning on swag. All patrons are in the figurative hat from whence the names of winners are drawn. And there are other benefits to members as well. They're all listed there at patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. And speaking of swag, another way to support the show is to buy cool stuff from my little online shop, bagpipeswag.com. There you can find droning on stuff as well as other pipey and drummy things that my, uh, that my friends and I make. And if you feel so inclined, I genuinely invite you to follow the show on Facebook. It's super fun to have a way to interact over there, uh, to discuss past episodes, and I also uh, like to bounce ideas off of, off of you, my friends, uh, ask you for input on upcoming interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd like to invite you to join in on virtual book clubs and uh, probably lots of other cool stuff that uh, I just haven't even thought of yet as of this recording. It's easy to find. Just get on Facebook and search Droning on Podcast. And if Instagram is more your jam, we're also on there at droning.on.podcast. You can also email the show at thedroningonpodcast at gmail.com. And links to these sites, social media accounts, and more are in the show notes. Leaving the show a positive rating and review helps others to find it, so feel free to do that. And thank you again for listening, you cool human you. So... Think, so where were we? we're talking, yeah, oh, going we, to Pleasanton, right? At Pleasanton, hearing, yeah. hearing SFU. Uh, we keep getting sidetracked, but that's just how I am with piping. Like, I just love talking about piping, if you couldn't tell. And, <laughs> and well, and and getting sidetracked is kind of the the yeah. the modus operandi of this show. So don't worry. It makes about your that. job a little easier, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have to just, come up with like random questions. Exactly. So, I can just sit um... back and uh, <laughs> go, man. <laughs> Oh, no, I mean, and that's fine, too. That's fine, too. But um, I definitely don't have a problem talking about piping and finding things to talk about. So Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I like it. You know, it's just it's, it's my passion. So, um, well, so, so you traveled around getting inspired 
you went on a mission for for the for the Mormon Church. Did you go anywhere that had to do with that, with piping by chance? It's no. nice when a piper gets called to go to Scotland or Canada. No, or something. although believe me, as a religious person, I probably was asking God, "Will you send me to Scotland?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I think um, probably most Mormon pipers and drummers are are asking yeah. God to send them to Scotland, Ireland, and Canada, so, etc. Yeah, and no, I Australia. Didn't. So like yeah so we'll fast so like I think we were kind of talking about this this big huge Celtic Arcs festival oh yeah yeah SFU did and I won't spend too much more time on that other than it was just amazing like they did a concert at the Marriott Center and I have that on camcorder too and I mean Natalie McMaster was there I mean like it was just a full blown this would have been most of their content that they were getting ready to do at their Sydney Opera House album, which was the next year, 2001. So that's awesome. So you basically got the Sydney Opera House we got it rehearsal. We got it in advance. That's amazing. It was most of the same stuff, but also some unique stuff, maybe some carryover stuff from a little earlier. Um, and, you know, obviously some totally unique stuff that wasn't anywhere else. But I would say, like, if I had to say what was this concert, it was probably very similar to the Sydney Opera House. And mm -hmm. that's another really really cool cd and so by this time by 2001 i would have been well i would have been in the middle of my mission and so so for those that aren't lds that are listening to this like when you're on a mission like you pretty much live under a set of rules and you agree to it before you even go and so like there's like you don't watch tv you know you, you pretty much just focus on on what you're there to do and so like you even have like you you don't listen to popular music and stuff, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so but I remember I was kind of bad, and I remember Ian White he smuggled me that Sydney Opera House CD <laughs> had just come out, and I remember listening to that, and it was a new SFU CD that came out when I was on my mission. Of course, I had to listen to it, and I was just I had my little disc man or whatever. And was, did, you, did you sneak it at night when your when yeah. your mission companion was asleep? <laughs> or maybe he thought I was listening to the Tabernacle Choir. I don't right. Know. <laughs> and I was just really jamming out to it. <laughs> and then um, eventually, I did have my mom like send me out some bagpiping CDs because they. It was kind of like a loophole in the rule. Like they, you could listen to some instrumental music. Yeah. Well, hey, that's instrumental. Yeah. And they weren't super strict about it. Like so, every mission, the, the, the mission president is the one who leads over the mission and they kind of set their own rules. Yeah, sure. And yeah. ours was a little more lax on that. And so like, so I, I basically had my mom ship me out like all my favorite CDs and I probably shouldn't have because it was very distracting. But so I was kind of lucky because my mission leader, my mission president, he he let me bring my bagpipes, which is that's not a normal thing for missionaries to be able to bring like their instruments and stuff. So, right. Yeah. And so I was actually able to bring it and I had my full pipes, I had my practice chanter and I had a, a Deeger electronic bagpipe as well, which helped me like so every one once a week you kind of have a day on when you're on your mission where you kind of take care of your personal items like you don't do laundry you know, and stuff yeah you it's, it's called like a preparation day so like you kind of yeah do laundry write letters this was okay this is kind of dates me but like they had email when i went on my mission but we, we still wrote letters oh, so really? I, i'd say like okay we were writing letters i we still did that we didn't we didn't have access to computers so See when when I, when I was a missionary, we were allowed to use email for up to one hour, okay, and only email our parents, nobody else. 
but okay. we could write letters to anyone we wanted. So I'm not yeah. sure exactly. Maybe it was to avoid the distraction of instant messaging or what else, whatever else would have been hot at the time. Yeah. I guess Facebook was starting to get hot then, but but yeah, oh, it was. Okay. It's it's funny. Yeah. It's funny how so like now was, I've got a little so funny, brother like, who's how on much a, things changed in yeah. a short time. Yeah, because like, I've got a little brother who's like, on a mission right you're now. You're only what like like seven or eight years different than me. Right. Yeah. Like, you are basically in a different world in that time of your life. Yeah, right? and then but then my little brother who's on a mission right now is doing a video call with us like every night. That's just insane to even think about. It's like, crazy, right? So so for those, I mean, I think I said like a lot of your listeners probably are familiar with the experience of a of a Latter-day Saint mission. But yeah. for those that aren't like when I went and probably when you went to like, you basically talked to your parents twice a year, once on mother's day, once on Christmas. Yep. And, and there was a time limit for that too. If yeah. I remember right, my mission's time limit was two hours. Yeah. You got two hours on Christmas and two hours on mother's day. And other than that, you never talk to anybody at yeah. home other than and that so, one hour to email once a week. But the funny thing is, is it, it actually did it. Yeah. I was homesick, but like it did help you focus on what you were doing. And you, you, def, you felt like you were kind of, you know, just, fo- yeah, I don't know. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but you're focused. But it, so it like, is crazy. So, like my little brother yeah. now, like when they're driving home in the evening, that's another thing. They're in a car. I was walking the whole time. Right. But when they're driving home in the evening, he'll just put out a link, you know, like join me on the video call and, and whoever wants to just hops on and just like, Hey, how was your day? Oh, cool, man. Here's my little, here's my baby. Oh, cool. You know, I can't even fathom. <laughs> it's crazy. I can't, right? even, I can't even fathom what that was like. And, and I had many a homesick nights and. But it was for me, you know, it, I guess in the culture that we live in, it, and it's not something that, you know, everyone does and, and everyone has their own path. But like for those that do it, 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 it can kind of act as kind of like a, almost like a rite of passage, kind of like a, a growing up experience, right? You're yeah, on sure. your own for the first time and you're living life and you're away from all your comforts, right? Yeah, I so, mean, to be fair, like you could re- re- strip all religious aspect from it. And for any young person around, you know, between yeah. 18 and 21 to go and live in a different place for and, two years would definitely and, be a formative experience. And many do that with college, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. A similar type of thing, although much different focus. <laughs> much, but <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and you're not, you know, you're not doing like the social life of a right. college student, obviously. Yeah. But like you're living on your own, you're cooking your own meals, you're... You know, you're buying your own food, you're doing your own laundry, you're living, you know. Some would yeah. say you're burning your own meals and not doing your own laundry, but though you should. Oh, well, in my case, you are microwaving your own microwave burritos. Yep, yep. And you are cooking your own ramen. Yep, lots of Pop-Tarts. Yep. yep. So, but anyway, to kind of get back to it. So I was a little distracted because I was every bit as passionate about piping, like the whole time I was there. And I thought about it a lot. And probably should say that I didn't but I did and kind of getting like these CDs and having my pipes and I I I will say that I did end up doing quite a bit of practicing like on my P day like when we had the time yeah and it wasn't usually on the pipes it was usually on the electronic chanter that I could put the earphones in and my companion wouldn't hear that's the person that you live with you know right yeah and so um but so essentially like I kept the passion burning you know I came home and by that time, um, this group that was kind of the BYU pipe band kind of went through a few formations. Like, I think they kind of did a phase where they were the Y Mount pipe band. And mm. I don't know. I hadn't even heard that name. Yeah, that was kind of when I was gone. And then that was very short lived. And then when I came back, they were the, fir- the full blown Mount Tempanogos pipe band. And they just had new kilts and new uniforms and they had drummers. 
And this all happened when I was on my mission. So I came back in May and the Scottish festival in Salt Lake is usually like the first week of June or the second week of June. And so I literally hopped right into the circle. I got a kilt. Yeah. I got my uniform and I got my channel and I hopped right in and I learned the music and I literally competed. My first band competition ever was 2002 short, like just a couple weeks after I got back. Mm. And at this time I also decided to hop back into solos and I, I decided that I was ready to move up to grade three at that time. And whether or not I was ready, I probably should have waited a little bit. Because like the first competition back, I my fingers weren't quite like like the passion was there, but yeah, the raw. I think the raw ability was there, but like the it was a little unclean. Right, there were some of those little magic adjustments that. that just... I think that would have been the first time I competed against like Ross and Justin, who have been very prominent figures, like with the Wasatch. And, yeah, and they're some of the more prominent high, like very high end pipers in the whole state. So yeah. at that time. They were, I don't know, four or five years younger than me, like maybe four years. I, I can't remember exactly, but they were kind of coming up together. And mm -hmm. and so I didn't really know them. <laughs> so you show up you show up to compete and you're like, who are these young whippersnappers? Yeah, I show and then you up and they're, like, they're, they're, yeah, they're very disciplined. And, and here I am like two weeks back from like, you know, being on a mission and yeah. competing. Anyway, so, but I just dove, dove headfirst back into it. So like I started up college that fall and, and, but I basically still didn't really have much of a life other than piping. Like, and so I just became obsessed with it again. I started doing solo competitions again. I like the, this band, the Mount Tempanogos pipe band, that was the last, that was the one and only like competition that I did with them for in that iteration of the band with Ian as the Ian White as the pipe major. Cause they didn't travel, but I went full blown into traveling to solos. Yeah. Right, that, right. Yeah. That, that fall. Right. And did that or that summer, that fall. So I got right back into it. And by that time, my friend Ian Crane, he had moved out to um, to Ohio. He he moved there shortly, at, like about the time I went on my mission and um, he played for a grade two band out there. But he then he um, also he, he became a member of the grade one um, city of Washington pipe band. And he would he would drive several hours out there um, as much as he could. And so he went to the worlds with the grade one. And so I was kind of like living vicarious. He would write me letters. Yeah, I just went to my grade one band practice today. <laughs> you know, that's another thing that kind of kept me. Oh, man, that's so cool. And does, anyway. does that band play? Is it, are they part of the one of the Canadian associations? The um, I, yeah, which, I have this which, vague which notion. The I have city this vague, of Washington? Yeah, I have this vague notion that some of the Washington and and Oregon area, the bands play with a Canadian association instead of West Wuba. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure they probably go to some of the games on that circuit, but I think like the, you're right though. Like the, the Northeast bands, I think, I think Oregon does have their own like little, their own thing, but mm. I think the bands are part of the BC Pipers Association mm. and they kind of take part in that circuit for the most part. Yeah they do that more than come down to California. Yeah. That's the thing. So, I just get yeah. this idea that it's like, Waspaba is like the Western States in California, but somehow those two in the corner, uh, I never see any bands from there. And I've, yeah. I've got this feeling that it's because they're in Canada, but I don't really know the. Well, really and, and what, I mean, I do have a bit of experience going there. I mean, um, some, you know, Wasatch has gone up to Enumclaw a number mm -hmm. of times. And that's like the big, that's up by Seattle. That's the right. Pacific Northwest Highland games. And, 
that's always like one of my favorites to go to because you know the great like triumph street kind of disbanded but like you know when triumph street was the last decade or so going full strength there they would come down sfu was always there yeah they have the open solos like if you want to hear like jack lee and alan bevan and like all the sfu guys i don't need to name all their names i'm just like but it's a beautiful setting too it's also a great place oh it's like up in the pine trees right yeah so like and the band's been to Portland as well. Like we've talked about maybe doing like a trip up into Canada to do like a BC Games, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, mm-hmm. And so, the band did go to Maxville. Like that was right before I joined the band. Um, and we'll kind of get to that part of the story. But like, um, so we've we've always talked about like doing like a big trip, you know, something out of the ordinary because we kind of do the California circuit and kind of the Western circuit. So like we always go to like Costa Mesa, which is like Orange County. We go to Pleasanton, that's like, um, kind of by the Bay area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do we Queen Mary, Sacramento. We've done Queen Mary, you know, like yeah. all the West coast big games. And, you know, we've done other ones too, like Colorado. And, and we don't do that as much. We've gone down to Arizona, but like most of the, cause like once your band gets up to a certain level, you have to basically go to where those other bands in that grade play. Right. 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 So, so you got a grade two now, band. It's, like, you got to find like, another one to play against. When Wasatch first got into grade two, we didn't really have the problem when we were in grade three. I mean, in Utah we did. Cause like we had to still travel anywhere to play against a grade three band. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, and I, I don't, I don't want to leave out the Salt Lake Scots because for a while they were in grade three as well. And so, mm-hmm. but like they, most of the time but even then neither of you wants to only compete with one other band right so so basically the whole time i've been with that band like we basically just travel you know and that's how we compete and they have a system down and we just do it you know and that's that's fun that's part of the fun experience for me Mm -hmm. Um, but you just kind of have to go where the bands are so yeah and anyway, I don't want to get too sad. Oh, I don't know. I'm. This is like the long story. This is gonna, <laughs> people, no one's going to listen to this. <laughs> Some people oh, well. might. People, I think Swan, people will take it in. Swan, right? right. Yeah. He's, he's like he's kind of like piping nerd, like almost Johnny level. I yeah, don't know. He, he's my he's my personal <laughs> reference piping nerd. Like I, I think I was telling you that like I don't remember what kind of drone reads I have, but he knows, so I just text him whenever I need to know. Like, hey, what's it's funny? Like, what's my stuff tell again? Me, you tell me that on text and you're like they're like this color and this i'm like oh it's this read you know i don't yeah, even have to yeah. see it you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so anyway so i start start doing a ton of solo stuff some of the stuff i'm driving by myself i made some other friends um went to several games with uh, uh another piper that was out of the salt like scott Chantel beck she was another really really good piper about yeah. grade two about grade two level and um so I was friends with her and I went with her family on a couple trips. Anyway, I was just kind of, basically I would try to tag along whenever I could to anyone who was going competing or I would um, sometimes just drive myself down. And I like I, I remember sleeping under a tree, sleeping in the back of my car, like just doing anything I can to save money. You ever we pitch, your, pitch yeah. your kilt like a tent? <laughs> no, but we did pitch a tent like yeah. several times when going down to Costa Mesa before I was part of the band that was regularly going there every year, um, I went soloed there several times. I think 2003 would have been the first time um, I went to Costa Mesa, which has become one of my favorite games. I mean, it's just it's just minutes from the beach, and but basically it's just the Southern California vibe, but for with piping and yeah. you know all the like LA Scots are there and. You know, all the Southern California bands go there. And most of the Northern California bands that are serious will come down to 
Costa Mesa because it's the second biggest games in California other than Pleasanton, which is more than me. So. Right. So, but the first couple times I went down there, we would camp. Um, yeah, I camped Costa Mesa. Then the following year, 2004, I would have went again with a couple, with Justin, um, Justin Howland. And mm-hmm. We camped and um, went with another friend, Heidi. You know, but these these are these are fun experiences. I mean, so many stories come out of these experiences. Oh, it's I mean, a big part of why people do yeah. pipe bandits. Oh, yeah. is for like, running around and hanging out with each other. I mean, I've been on so many of these trips, and like I honestly I couldn't tell you like what MSR we played or what we placed on certain days or whatever. But I can tell you like the time we went to the beach and this funny thing happened, or like what meals we ate. You know, like those are the stories that kind of stand out, right? And the piping is kind of like the vehicle that takes you there. Right. Yeah. It gives you an excuse <laughs> to don't have be wrong, like in the moment, stuff. like what we played for the MSR and who we placed against and what our placings and what the judges said, don't get me wrong in the moment. That is very serious to us. And yeah. like, we take it very seriously and we are very competitive, but like years later, like that fades, right. And right. you remember the stories, you remember the people, you remember your friends and, and that's what kind of keeps me coming back. I think like if it was just the music, it might get a little, all doing like the same thing every year, but you always have a different story, right? Yeah. Like every time you go on a trip, you have a different story. So, so yeah, let me fast forward a little bit. This is the long story. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm not pacing myself, but like <laughs> Don't going worry about to it, around man. 2003, this would have been one of the trips that I just, I think like I was going to go with a friend and they kind of had to cancel the Las Vegas games. It was just one that came up in April and I was going to solo. So I went down there and, and, um, and Andrew Morrill, which was a longtime pipe major of the Utah Pipe Band, mm-hmm. and um, the current pipe major of Wasatch's father, um, you know Ross, he's the current pipe major of the Wasatch Grade Two. So right. his father, Andrew, um, long—I mean, been playing forever. You know, like really, you know, prominent Utah piping figure, pipe major of Utah Pipe Band. And anyway, he was—he was my judge for one of my events, and. I didn't, I, he, I knew who he was. He knew I, what he had seen me, but like, we didn't really have a relationship. Like, but he came up to me and he basically just talked me into coming and playing for Utah pipe band at the time, which was one of the two grade two grade three bands at the time that were mm-hmm. in Utah, the other being the Salt Lake Scots. So it's kind of funny that I didn't join the Scots because I knew I was friends with a lot of players there, but for some reason, I was drawn to come play with Utah and he basically just recruited me right on the spot. And uh, a couple weeks later I was in their vans going to Sacramento. I didn't, I, I competed solo that trip, but I, I didn't, I wasn't ready to compete with the band yet, but I basically just hopped in full bore into Utah pipe band grade three, learned all the music really fast and started competing with them. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I made a lot of the associations, which I still carry on to this day with the, a lot of the players that are now in Wasatch. And so um, a lot of the players that are in Wasatch that comprise Wasatch now did kind of come from the Utah pipe band. Um, right. So I don't know. That's a whole nother story. But so I, so at this time I was still playing with the Mount Tempanogos, the Mount Tempanogos pipe band, but um, I was able to play with Utah pipe band as well under one of the technicalities to the different grade bands, you know, uh, yeah. registered member for both. But as it turns out, like Ian, so we coming into the summer of 2003, getting all ready to do another competitive run with Tempanogos, but 
um, Ian got a job in Colorado and he, so he's basically, he's moving out of state. And, and at that time, like there, I was basically the one that was handed the keys to the band. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> so, I mean, like it was kind of like placed on my lap. I mean, I was at a, I was at a point where like I was still early on in my piping career, but I was so passionate about it. And I had come so far in such a short period of time. I'm not saying I was ready, but like there was really no one else that really had the time and a, you know, drive to kind of keep it going. So, yeah. So I kind of took the reins, Ian left and, but like, I will say that we, we didn't really continue on too much with too much competitive, too much competitions after that. Like we tried, but it was always hard with the drummers, you know? Yeah. It was always hard. That was like the thing. That the universal happened. challenge. Yeah. Okay. And so we, yeah, you know, we did our best. We did, but we still met weekly, and we did a ton of gigs, and we practiced, and we worked hard, and you know, and we had our things that we did. We were definitely a band, and so I was a pipe major, the band for a number of years, actually for like seven years. Mm. But it was always, it like I enjoyed the relationships in that band. Like Joe was one of my best friends, and and uh, a lot of other people in the band like I really it, that was for me that was just like more good time piping right like have fun and have some good fun experiences yeah but like I was so serious about the competition side and I just thrived off of that I wanted I basically wanted to be like what had inspired me like I wanted to be grade one I want you know I wanted to sound like that so like yeah so I thought playing in the Utah pipe band at least locally was my best option I thought for it like because they traveled outside the state a lot you know and they so that that year in 2003 we went up to Enumclaw that was my first time going up to BC area like circuit and here in SFU like I that's another thing I took my camcorder up there I remember like I camcorded all of Jack Lee you know Jack Lee Stuart Little Alan Bevan Andrew Bonar like all these great players like you know just another I was always just trying to soak it in right yeah so, so I'm going around competing with Utah and still kind of learning how to be a pipe major at least on a very small level you know with mm -hmm. Jonathan Venogas and trying to keep that going and teaching and getting students and helping the pipers there and trying to keep things together and it was kind of definitely didn't feel I wasn't aspiring to do that and it was definitely kind of a learning experience it's something that's kind of thrown in my lap you know so yeah but had many many good experiences with that band over the years and many fun times and fun memories even though we didn't really do too much we did compete at salt lake like maybe once or twice more and maybe even play for sheets but like it we it was never like the serious motivating drive even though believe me like there was a bit of a frustration at one point because like i wanted to i wanted to take this band and have it because there was some raw there was some good talent in the band yeah. And I wanted to like get them. I wanted to take them out to the games and see what we could do, you know, grade four. This was before like Wispa had grade five, but I think, yeah, I, even then I think we would have been grade four. Cause like our pipe core was, we had some good players. So, um, but it was always just kind of like pulling teeth, like, and you know exactly what I mean. I'm sure like 
you know, trying to be a pipe nature. It's like not everyone is on board with the same level of commitment that you want it to be, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge. And part of it is just like seasons of life. Like, you know, yeah. you have stuff lined up and then somebody gets pregnant or gets yeah. a job out of state or something. It's like, oh, well, so, now we don't have competition numbers. So, <laughs> and, so and that's why I, I kind of, that's why I, I kind of satisfied my competitive thing through this Utah pipe band. And, and I was still heavily involved in the solos. And I thought, okay, this is good. I get the band experience get to go play with the band. But then I also basically need to go on three trips to go do solos as well. Yeah. You know, go, go down to go California or wherever the band's going and do solos. So, so fast forward, like maybe 2004, this people don't care about this. Like no one's going to care about this, but maybe they can pick out a nugget of something that is. Yeah. Don't sweat. Don't sweat. Yeah, it's something I don't know. And yeah. so like, and so 2004, I, you know, still playing with Utah. And, the, and this year, Utah kind of, I'm not going to go into the details, but basically a large portion of their competitive members, particularly in the grade three band, which I think, I believe they had two bands at the time. But like, um, so they kind of, they had a falling out basically and and they left Utah Pipe Band. And, and um, so that kind of stunk for a while. But then they kind of are... They kind of already had in their mind, like Andrew particularly, he kind of already had in his mind the formation of what would become Wasatch and District. Yeah. Like kind of like his idea of what he of, of what he wanted for a band and kind of the structure, you know. And so but so I kind of I kind of just put all my focus into this Mount Tempanogus and I still was traveling and doing solos, like traveling with some of my like Justin particularly. And we, we traveled and went to some of these solo contests, you know, and kept that. So I was still just, just as passionate, but the band thing kind of subsided for a while. So I was just kind of just doing parades and gigs with Tempanogos. And, oh, um, so at that point you weren't playing with Utah Pipe Band or Wasatch and District. You, well, Wasatch, I mean, they didn't start right away, right? Yeah, I, mean, I see. I think, so there was a I think they did there. kind of start meeting like shortly after that. Yeah. But they, so when they actually officially started up in grade four, like I didn't join them right away because I was already the pipe major of a grade four band. And I did, even though we didn't do a lot of competing, I had aspirations to compete mm -hmm. in grade four. So like I was really trying to see if we could get a competitive band ready. Yeah. And so even though I, I, I really admired what the band was doing and like kind of probably would have liked to have been a part of it, but like I was fully invested in the Mount Tempanogos band and, and trying to see what we could go in there. So and it wasn't, so I'm just going to fast forward a number of years because there's just, we're running, we're, we're going too long. Well, don't, so, you know, don't, don't feel too bad about it or anything. I, either it'll be a long, an, a long episode or I'll just cut in half and we'll have two episodes. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I won't apologize anymore. Yeah. But, don't worry um, about it. But this is kind of fun for me just to remember this stuff because I haven't really like sat down and talked about it for a while. Yeah. But anyway, so that was kind of a transitional time for me too, where I kind of, took a little step back. I still really love piping, but so like by the time 2005 came around, like I was still traveling to the games. I had just been upgraded to grade one. Um, Noise. And that was kind of like a dream of, you know, a lofty goal. And, mm -hmm. and then 2006 came around and I ended up getting married that year. <laughs> Noise so, again. So, yeah. So another upgrade. Yeah, another upgrade <laughs> of life, but maybe a downgrade for my like solo piping aspirations. Yeah, like, yeah. like 
like less driving and sleeping under a tree to play an MSR, you know? Right. <laughs> and so, and at the same time, I also, well, not, not right at the same time, but my first couple years of marriage, like I still piped and I was still pipe major of Tempanogos. It was kind of nice that kind of adjusting to married life that I wasn't taking on too much. And so, of course, yeah. and, uh, anyway, I kind of started having the early signs of what would become full blown, like focal dystonia which I don't, mm. you probably don't, I know you've talked about that on this show. Yeah. And um, some of the listeners are going to be familiar with that because of that. So I'm, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because that's like a really dark thing, but that's something that I battled on and off for years. And let's just say like my own person, like I was kind of like, in my mind, almost what kind of killed like my aspirations to become like better than, you know, like, than what I ended up being, you know? Sure, sure. And yeah. and because it, it, for a while, it just, my hands just stopped doing what I would tell them to do. And there was, and it became the most frustrating, painful thing you can ever imagine, right? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's, right. It, having known a few people who suffer from it, I've, it's a, it's a, it's a living nightmare for me to imagine it. I, yeah. I, I mean, my heart goes out to you. It, I could not be a so, worse thing for someone who uses their fingers for their passionate hobby right. to have happen. So I will say that it didn't like totally make me stop playing. Like I could still play, but everything became much more of a challenge. And let's just say that getting better up to the next level was not really happening. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and, um, and uh, I still enjoyed piping just as much. It just kind of became this little thorn in my side. And, and over the years, it's kind of become a, a, a life experience of like how to accept something and how to work with what's happening in your life instead of trying to fight against something that's inevitable. Like, mm. and so I, I'm at a point now where like, I'm able to, I'm not able to, I still say like, I'm never going to be able to like play even as good as I used to before it happened. But like, like I'm a more experienced piper now. I'm more, like, I'm more knowledgeable. I can probably set up a better sounding instrument. Like I, like certain, certain things about my playing are probably better, but like I'll never have like the flashy fingers of just like ripping out any hornpiper jig that I yeah. want on demand. Right. Yeah. Like that, those days are over and like, I'm totally fine with that. You know, like I can still keep playing, I'm playing into grade two band, you know, like I'm getting back into some solos um, and um, you know, like I'll just do what I can, you know? And it almost, it was almost like, almost like blessing in disguise in a way because like it helped it, it forced me to kind of put on the brakes and maybe focus on some other areas of my life that were deficient right <laughs> well hey and maybe maybe your daniel days are over but you can still develop into more of a mr miyagi yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah no i mean i i mean hopefully the passion that i have for piping can rub off on some of the next young like good players that are yeah. going to be around yeah i mean i'm not saying Obviously, if I really, if that was like a real ambition, then I would be teaching a lot more. But I, I really just don't have a lot of time for yeah. teaching. And well, so, again, seasons of life, right? But, that that know, may come like, in the future. But like definitely like for the, the other players that are on my band, like I try to bring like a passionate attitude towards the music and towards just what we do. And I try to make it fun. And and if that passion can rub off on someone else, then that's a positive thing, I think. So, yeah. Um, and... So fast forward a number of years. Um, so 2007, Wasatch went in grade. They were just rocking it in grade four. 
they were winning everything and mm -hmm. they went out to Maxville and and then Montreal and they ended up like winning Montreal like this was just kind of really rare for a band to come out of nowhere and right just yeah win right and they ended up placing at Maxville I don't they didn't win Maxville but like they we're in the top three at least. And they won Montreal, which is the other games is like the next day or something. So, and, and that's the exact year that I became aware of Wasatch. Yeah. Precisely because of that. Yeah. And so it was the like this, there's this Utah band that's winning all over the right. place. And it's like, what, right. what Utah band? <laughs> Wait, <Yeah>. who? <laughs> yeah. So, and then the following year they were, or that, that off season, they were upgraded to grade three. And so then a little light bulb went off in my mind. Ding. Okay. I'm the pipe major of a grade four band, but I can play in a grade three band. There you go. Yeah. And so I immediately joined up with them and it was just a natural fit because it was many, if, if not most of the same players that I played with, like yeah. in the grade three Utah, not all of them, obviously, but like, you know, like Justin and Ross and Andrew um, and many of the other, like kind of play, like many of the, basically the whole core of the band did come from Utah. And, yeah. And that's just, that's just how it happened. And they're not going to get into the details why, and that wouldn't even be the best one to tell you. Yeah. But, but here we are. So Wasatch and district has a grade three band now. And so I join right up with them and start competing with them. And um, yeah. And then the rest is kind of history for Wasatch. I mean, I've, I've kind of maybe had like a year or two off here and there, um, but not, not very much. Um, mm -hmm. I think like 2009, I didn't do as much for some reason. And I, but like, 2010 on like all through the 2010s played with Wasatch and actually starting in 2013 I think I became the pipe sergeant for mm -hmm. a number of, for like a number of years and 2015 we were upgraded to grade two which that was like a, a, a long time goal of mine like and we were just ecstatic and, and so we've been playing in grade two ever since and so, so I've, I've how just, many I've, years until we see Wasatch break into grade one um, I don't think that's in the cards <laughs> with the current generation of players we have. And that's no knock on them. It's just that there is such a huge gap between more of like an entry to mid-level grade two band and breaking into grade one. Like it's a whole different stratosphere. Right? Yeah, yeah. And not only of talent, because like even if we did have the talent, it's a different mindset, right? Yeah, like, there's a reason like so many grade you, one bands have members from across yeah, the country. And it's a different level of sacrifice. And yeah. believe me, like in the leadership of the band, there's been many conversations over the years about like what it'll take to get to the next level. And by that, I don't even mean grade one. I just mean like get to like a competitive, like the next level within grade two. Right, right? an improved grade two band. Yeah, yeah. And like, like, and it, at a certain point, it becomes less of a hobby i mean if you're if you're in a grade two band it's already more than just a hobby right right you but, you work in order to right be able like, to play pipes right yeah. but like you're still but there's still um a bit of the mindset of like i'm it's still basically just a hobby i mean it's just more of a serious hobby right? yeah like like the players in an sfu that is not a hobby like they didn't just get into sfu it was like a lifelong goal and passion right. and drive you, to get to that level. And like, and like parents putting them into special programs right. and, and, then, and basically, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. basically spending all of your money and vacation time traveling. Yeah. Going to the worlds every year. Like, and so, well, and then e to have it sustainable, even, you kind of yeah. need a core of people who are making their living if possible from their piping, because there aren't enough hours in the day to, right. to do 
to do multiple things. And like, so, like, <laughs> I would say, like, this group of Wasatch and District Grade 2, and, like, I think we're doing a lot with the, the talent that we have and with the people that we have without going full-blown, like, okay, this is all you do. Like, right, you know without I mean? saying, like, 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 forget your family, quit your like, job, <laughs> we're playing like, bagpipes. <laughs> believe me, like, the thought of a, a Wasatch and District Grade 1 band has crossed my mind, but it is nowhere in this current generation. It's going to take, like, okay, bringing up enough new players and instilling that passion and drive into them well, and in, education, in, as, right? You got to have them playing and, at the level that like, like right. the level I'm playing right now as a, as a mid thirties year old man, yeah. I, I needed, I would, if I wanted to play, join a band like that, I needed to have been playing at this level when I was like right. 12 years old. So <laughs> I will say that like, I don't laugh at that idea of a Wasatch grade one band, but like, it's not going to be soon. You got to be realistic about it. Cause right. if you expect oh, it no. to be soon, then you would get discouraged. Oh because no, it's, it's not going to be soon. Yeah. But I do think, and we are, we are attracting some good players. And I, I don't mean that by just like recruiting and like, hey, come to our band, all the best players. But like, if you're a good player and you want to compete at that high level, like your options are limited. Like, so if you want to play in the grade two band, either you're going to go travel and be a distance member, or you could play with this band that's in your backyard, right? Yeah. Like, and so we've had some players that have tried to do that and have done that and and we welcome them with open arms and like i'm not i'm not here trying to say like okay we're who's all the best players and we're going to get them into our band like it's never like that at all but it's like we're passionate about what we do like we it you know we have fun but it's it's a serious thing too it's like you come it's a different mindset you come you know the music i mean you know, and we play at a certain level is expected, right? Yeah. And yeah. Swan don't was don't get me, me wrong. Like we still deal, <laughs> we still deal with the same stuff that other bands do. Like sometimes someone doesn't know their music or something. Right. Someone's right. It's not ready, but like the, the default expectation is that you are and that you're in this band because you can be right. And the expectation is that you are. And, yeah. And that is what attracts people to that band. And that's not, the band that is going to be right for everybody, right? Even if yeah, you can't, at even some if point you could, it's a choice. Like, yeah. even if you could do it, it doesn't mean it's right for you. It's like, okay, you you might be talented enough to play in a grade two band, but like, does your family life balance allow you to do that and go right, on trips? Right. Like, so like, you have to have the right balance of ability and mindset and dedication right? and availability so, and all kinds of stuff. But it's it's just like this spectrum, right? Because like. Like the level that I'm talking about in the grade two Wasatch is going to be a little different than Garden Valley, but like that that same difference is going to be evident between Wasatch and like a super competitive grade two band or a grade one band, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be like so we're always looking up. Okay, how do we get more? How do we get players that are like more passionate, more serious, more committed? What do we? Because like most bands that are even at grade two level will meet more than once a week, and we're still right. in the we're still in like the once a week mode and we try to be efficient and do as much as we can. And, and we do do band weekends where like periodically what, I mean, COVID kind of, we haven't done it since then, but like, right. like during the off season, like once a month, we will try to get together for a Thursday, Friday and Saturday rehearsal. Mm. And cause like we have had some out of town players like um, come in and that helps them like, um, 
you know, they can just kind of come in and just have a concentrated rehearsal if they're not there, like, for three straight days. Right? Yeah, like a band camp. Yeah. And we – those are usually good. But then also you have – it's tricky to balance because, like, you do kind of have people – giving a little bit of pushback even then because it's like oh, that's that's my date night and that's my family day and you know it's just like it's hard it's right hard. and and, and the, I, that's, not, that's and that I'm, balance you're I'm talking not, about right i'm not like calling anyone out because right. like, i feel the same thing pressure with my i mean i have four kids like i have a wife you know friday night's our date night it's like i have to make sure that i'm making sure all these other aspects of my life are healthy right yes And I've had that experience so many times where like I've started to put too much into piping specifically and it makes other aspects of my life suffer. And so then you have to go, okay, now wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I don't have to throw piping entirely out the window, but I'm putting too much into it. I need to scale back to something manageable so that I can have some balance here. And I've had to learn that over the years because as passionate as I've explained to you, like how passionate I was about piping, like, I kind of have to rein that back in and and that's why it was fun for me to talk about those experiences because like I brought up feelings of like how I felt about it then that I can't really afford to feel that same way now even though I love it like I kind of have to rein it in because like I can't I can't go out and do all those things I used to I can't be because I have to I have to be a dad I have to be I have to work a job yeah husband you know like and there's been many times where like I, it was like, for me, it's like either all or nothing. And so I would just go full bore and then I would get to the point where like a breaking point where like, okay, like I just have to stop. And, right. Right. And like, there's been a few times where like I've contemplated it and actually like a couple of years ago, I actually did have to take a little break from the band in Wasatch and it was had nothing to do with Wasatch or my passion for playing. Well, I guess, I mean, I will say that like I was at a bit of a burnt out, but I've been through those before, right? Mm-hmm. It was more so just like some life situations, and I won't get into the details, but just different issues that were going on that needed more focus, and and I couldn't afford to devote that time. But the whole time that I was gone, I definitely knew I was going to go back. It was just a matter of, of when, not if, right? Yeah. Like because like it felt like this void in my life, and it was healthy for me at that time. But I always knew that, like, when the time was right, I'll go back, you know, and do it. And and I did and felt, you know, because that's like, it's like, you know what I'm talking about. You've been part of bands. It's like, it's not just the music. It's like your people. It's your, it's your oh, tribe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, your tribe. Yeah. it's like your, it's your, like, second family, right? I mean, and, yeah, you have issues and stuff just like families. But, like, at the same time, you feel like that's where you belong. Yeah, and so, so if you cut it out, you do miss it. It does leave do a void. It, yeah. and, and it's not just the music, right? Like, I didn't miss playing an MSR. Right. Just, Nobody's I ever mean, said, I, I mean, sure wish I could play an MSR right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I love a good MSR, but, like, that's not what, like, kept me – that's not what, like, kept me up at night, like, missing the band. It was like, oh, I miss going on these trips. I miss these friends. I miss doing social things. I mean, the, I miss being part of a – Humans want to be part of a tribe, right? Like they want to be part of a group that is a like-minded people working towards goals, you know? And so I know you probably have to go here pretty soon, but, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I don't, so you just kind of have to find that balance. And I, I, I'm hopefully I feel good about the balance that I found now. Like I can still, at, at, at a certain point, I did have to kind of step away from being the pipe major of the Tempanogos. And that was back in like 2010. I just couldn't. By that time, I was 
you know, married for a number of years, getting ready to start a family and stuff. And I just couldn't do it all anymore. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I was like out of school into my career and it just became too much. And like, I probably could have done it if I really dedicated myself to it. But like, I just didn't really have the passion to do like the non-competitive stuff as much. Like for me, like I I'm always driven by like trying to get better and trying to like, like hearing the bands and the players that inspire you and like trying to be part of a group of like-minded people that like really want to play better and, and push to get better. Right. And, yeah. And so like, I always, I felt like I always want to be part of a group that has that mindset. And for me, like I found Wasatch and it was just a perfect fit. And, and you know, I love that group and, and uh, I, I love the, all the experiences I had with Tempanogos too. And I love the people there. It was, you know, I just couldn't, I had to kind of choose, you know, like, yeah. do and I want to do more? Yeah. Do I want to go more of like the casual kind of like gigging Piper? Which works for or, some folks. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but nothing like for wrong me, with it, yeah. that wasn't going to keep me driven. And yeah. so I, ha I kind of had to go the, the other route and I don't regret it at all. I mean, I, I love every bit of it. Yeah. And honestly, so. when it comes down to it, I think personally, it's actually that more casual gigging style that works well for me. So I can totally understand yeah. that like, they both work for everybody at different times. They work together. It's good to have a little right. bit of both, but all of us kind of jive with one thing a little more than the other. And that's yeah. fine. You know, that's kind of, yeah. kind of do what works. It's better to do what works well for you and keep doing it yeah. than to try to do what doesn't work well for you and have it break down. And I've, I've done that too, <laughs> you know? And, and I think for me, like dialing, like maybe the whole vocal dystonia thing and having to dial back the solos that, that was probably like actually good in hindsight, looking back just for like my balance. Like yeah. I could, I could go in and learn the music for a band. Like I've always been able to learn music like really easily. So like, it's never really been an issue and for not time consuming, you know? Yeah. So like, like being part of a band is basically just like one night a week. And I'm not saying you don't practice, you still practice, of course. but like you could practice anything. Like, you know what I mean? you're still gonna I'm still gonna play even if I'm not in the band so like being part of the band essentially means like okay I'm going to a rehearsal once a week and I'm really focused during that time getting the band's getting better and then I'm still practicing during the week but I don't really have time for like much solos and stuff like right. especially like having babies your little kids and stuff you're you're always you know how it is you're always so tired and absolutely yeah. like I there's times when I tried to get back into it and I would just burn myself out quickly but I quickly learned find that balance you know Hopefully it's on my end. My my main worry is just my laptop, man. My laptop is uh, let's see, it's like eight years old now. It's it's, ooh, it's it, it's getting to it's got all kinds of problems. And right now, one of the main problems is that it gets real hot real fast, and you know that'll that'll affect oh, just okay. about everything. And so, well, fortunately, like I usually just use my work laptop for. I don't. I don't need to use it for a lot of stuff. I can't download like a lot of extra software on mm -hmm. it. I'm not, you know, for security reasons and stuff, but just for like basic use, word processing, internet, you know, just connecting that. I just use my work computer, but like my, my home computer, like my, my wife's laptop, that's, <laughs> it was like eight years old and we bought a new one. And then like literally a week later it was stolen out of our car. Oh, and then we bought another one, and then literally just two days ago, my two-year-old dumped a full glass of milk on it. And oh, no. 
we have had the worst luck with yeah. laptops the last couple months. <laughs> yeah, it's almost enough to make you just give up on the whole enterprise. But, no more computers. But, we don't even need. But them. For, fortunately, the last one, at least, it, you know, we'll be able to replace it under the warranty or whatever. But you know, the stolen one was a lost cause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. for sure. Well, good for great computer for somebody out there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I looked at it. You know, just send good just computer karma you know that's right maybe i'll maybe i'll get a maybe i'll get a steal a computer one day that's no, right one day someday when you steal a computer it'll be a really good one it'll be yeah. brand new <laughs> yeah now now i don't mean to make a hard pivot necessarily from what we had been talking about but i'm curious i don't think we i don't think i've asked you before what is it that you do for a living kind of your full-time thing yeah well i'm i'm <laughs> it's it's um it's one of those jobs that every time I say it, everyone goes, oh, oh, you do that? Why do you do that? No, I'm just kidding. No, I, no it's, it's, it's good. I, I, got, I, have a, I have an accounting degree, and so I work for the state of Utah. And so I, I'm actually an auditor, and we – so I don't, I don't audit, like, individual income taxes, like, mm-hmm. like your tax return or anything. I'm not going to come after you, but – a lot of businesses, some of the lesser known taxes like fuel taxes. And, you know, we look at, I, I mostly look at fuel taxes and that type of stuff, but mixed in there with a lot of other types of taxes that you don't really think about, like insurance, premium taxes, mm-hmm. beer taxes, uh, tobacco taxes, um, real exciting stuff. So you can see why I need an outlet. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it makes you feel any better, I've done a lot. I spent a lot of time in like quality and safety inspections, um, like I- I insurance risk mitigation inspections, that kind of stuff. It's uh, you, you're in one of those similar positions where it's like, well, everybody hates me, but they're nice to me to my face because they have to be. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that's why I like doing a lot of bagpiping gigs and stuff, because like afterwards, everyone always is, they're like in tears. They're so grateful. They yeah. tell me that I'm amazing, even if I'm not. And I'm like, OK, I need that because of my other job. I don't get that as much. Yeah. And, and you know that even if you don't hear it in your other job, uh, people are cussing you out as soon as you leave. Right. Like as yeah. soon as they hang up the phone, like, ah, this guy. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I apologize for my job jokingly, you know, when I tell people what I do, but, but really it, it fits my, you know, it, it, it fits how my mind works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so like, I wouldn't have been doing it for so long if it didn't kind of click with me. And so like, I really don't mind it at all. I mean, it's, it's a good job. I like it. And it's, it's been a good organization to work for and good, you know, good people. And now that I get a telework, it, it's really nice you know so i i during the summers i'll go i live right by the provo canyon and so i'll just go i have this little kind of secret spot by the river where no one ever really goes and Mm -hmm. i just i have like a just like a little tv tray my little camping chair and i just put my laptop there and i have a i have a hot spot and i can just do i can do all my work and just i just hear the river it's super super nice oh that sounds amazing and my laptop battery usually lasts about half a day so then usually i'll go to my office for the second half but if i really want to i could go there is like a pavilion like in the the little park mm-hmm. that i can go like just sit there and charge my battery but usually i end up just doing about half a day and uh but i'll tell you what that is much better than commuting up to salt lake every day oh amen <laughs> that's awesome so and and the nice thing that I mean, that was kind of started with COVID, but then they kind of looked at it real carefully. And I think they were in the process of wanting to kind of get that in place to 
offer that to the state employees anyway mm -hmm. in as many divisions as could make it work and so the new governor is really he's kind of gung-ho about teleworking because you know he he commuted from like where was it fairview or somewhere mm -hmm. Every, i mean he's kind of a rural um boy so that he kind of wants to open up more potential jobs to people in those communities and eliminate the commuting mm -hmm. so it makes sense when I mean, the technology is all there and stuff so yeah yeah I've, I've been working based from home for like 10 years now and i i i nice. for a for a very brief period about a year ago for like six months between other jobs i had to do a job where i had to commute and man especially after being away from it it, it just it's i did catch up on some podcasts i mean that's when i like binge listen yeah. to two years worth of Chanter Rant, which might have broken my brain a little bit, but you know, so there's there's there are perks for almost everything. But but man, you know I... what? There's been so many times where I've, you know, after listening to like a particular Chanter Rant episode, where I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I don't know if I'm gonna listen to these guys anymore. <laughs> but then, but then like I'm going through my list, and inevitably, like a week later, I'm like, oh, new episode, ding ding ding, you know. <laughs> and it's like one of those things where like, okay, it. There's just not a lot of bagpiping content out there, and they're funny. I mean, they are funny. Yeah. I like, you know, they're, and they're actually getting a lot better with, like, their interviews and, and bringing in, like, interesting people and Oh, yeah. Stuff. Can you believe and how so, you think about the, those first, like, especially the first, like, leading yeah. up to episode 100, how, like, what a difference it is with, like, the, how much more sophisticated Exactly. Like, is. if you can get through the first year or whatever, I mean. Well, like, first of all, if you can get through the first year, there's something <laughs> wrong with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there really is. I mean, but I think that. It just goes to show that, like, you know, we're bagpipers are starved for like content, and yeah. I mean, a lot of people like podcasts, and it's like, okay, if it has to do about bagpiping, I mean, but the thing of it is, is they have made it as inappropriate as it sometimes is. It is entertaining, and so entertaining. They have a formula yeah. that they stick to, and it it's the inappropriate humor that kind of keeps people listening. And, yeah. and I yeah, think it just kind of, it doesn't work. <laughs> I, I mean, I and so like you back. can say as much as you want that like, Oh, that's inappropriate. But because you're listening to it, it just kind of shows that we're all messed up. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they do. I think they do a good job. Oh, I yeah. mean, I love that. Like show. that's a lot of, I'm sure that's a lot of work Oh um, yeah. to do it week after week after week. Yeah. So consistently. And, and I'll give them credit for keeping it up. I mean, Oh man, yeah, absolutely. And, I was talking yeah. to another bagpipe podcaster just a little while ago. Um, are you familiar with the Way Too Twag uh, Bagpipe Power? Uh, it's like bagpipes in history. Um, it's very cool. It's a very cool podcast. But Wait, I love bagpipe history, but I've never heard of this. Oh, what, man, I'll, I'll send you a link. What is it? I'm going to – yeah, send me a link. I'm going to write it down because yeah. that sounds like – I mean, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm a piping nerd, and if you haven't figured that out, I love like – I love talking about all the history and – Oh yeah, and, you would love this podcast. It, it it really is. What excellent. is it called? It's called Way Too Twag. It's the way that he spells it. It's an Ojibwa word uh, spelled W E T O O T W A A G, which actually I think is an alternate spelling from what it's actually supposed to be. But can you just send me the link? Yeah, I'll just you send know, you a link. If, yeah. If <laughs> yeah, I no ever problem. make a podcast, I think it's going to be my goal, like, to make it something that someone can remember and uh, yeah. easily that's you know? actually one of the things i asked him about he, he kind of got stuck with it and so he's like well i guess this is what it is now you know but yeah. um but yeah really cool guy but yeah i was talking to him exa about exactly that just that um you know like when i started this podcast part part of my thinking was if i do a conversation based i don't have to do nearly as much work because i'm sitting down with another person so like you know for for your episode johnny you're doing the work you know because you're the subject matter so i can just be like hey tell me about yourself you know and that's 
that's pretty low. It's a pretty low bar for like preparation that I have to do. And then also if I set it up to be every other week, then I can build in breaks for myself and stuff like that. Yeah. Where this guy, I'll tell you what, John, like the, uh, Jeremy Kingsbury, who does the way to twag, his podcast format is like, he talks about, he does a lot of research, presents the information and plays tunes and records them as well. It's a lot of work and it makes for an amazing show, but man, it's a lot of work. And I think it's a similar thing with the Channerant guys. Like, they have to do a lot of work, and it's weekly. It's it, yeah, I think it gets to be a lot. I can't believe I've never heard of that. I I, I like to think I'm fairly tuned into piping mm-hmm. to the piping world, but you know, I I am kind of disconnected from social media, and so I guess I'm really not as connected as I would mm-hmm. like to. Oh, it's a great about. podcast, and actually, by the time this interview with you posts, an interview with Jeremy will have posted, um, and uh, so by then you'll get to heard from him on this show as well but yeah it's a it's a really good podcast and one of the cool things is that he actually has been around for a long time and so he has a really good backlog it's it's so if you you want some content here's a here's a treasure trove you know it's great i can't believe i've never heard of him Hmm. yeah well i'll put i'll put a link to it i'll put a link to that show in the show notes for this one as well just because let's see you know like time warp right by the time this one Mm -hmm. posts there will have been an interview with him, so there will be links there. But in case somebody listened to this one, didn't hear that one, right? I'll just put links everywhere. Anyway, that's good. Yeah, I de- I'm definitely gonna check it out. Yeah. So, my I like you know I I do like all the piping podcasts. You know, yeah, like yeah. I don't I don't honestly I don't listen to all the Chanteran episodes. I don't listen to all of any of them. Like, mm-hmm. But whenever I'm in the mood, like I, I you know a big grab, I like him. I I didn't really. I, could, I didn't really like it as much when he was just talking to himself, like, for an hour about, like, Northern Ireland piping updates. And, <laughs> it's true that you know, I mean, it got, it got but, kind of local news heavy for somebody yeah, international, Yeah, no, I mean, right? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, it was, like, he's he's still nice to listen to. For I sure. mean, it's still a good job, but, like, but I, I really started liking him a lot more when he would bring in, you know, like, the the piping people like doing the interviews yeah like the richard, interviews are great yeah. you know like yeah, richard part i mean like all the people he's brought in and that to me is more interesting you hey, know tell tell me i i think i honestly i hear rab's voice in the back of my head so so often doing this i want to see if i can approximate it if i lean away from the microphone tell me if you recognize this at all as, as being bit like big rab i'm gonna lean away from the mic and i go hooray <laughs> did that sound like rab <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, I, I love it. He's like, he's like, and in the, you know, the novice juvenile drum majors, blah, 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 won the first prize. A legend. Yeah. 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 How <laughs> many just, rabisms have like, like I will, I will say that like, he is yeah. the most, he is the most enthusiastic. He is. Yeah. That's anything part of the joy of listening I mean, like, to him for sure. Like normally I'm like, okay, like who won the grade one contest at the major and like, I'll talk about that till the cows come home. But like, and I think, you know, I'm pretty nerdy just for doing that, but he'll talk about like who won like the novice juvenile. Yeah. And who he'll came be in like fifth. grade four B, he'll came in, you know, he'll came in like fifth place and he's like, man, they're stressed. Ba-. Like their tone was so nice. Yeah, and, yep. and like, they've come a long way. And I'm like, man, that is just like passion, you know, yeah. like, like, okay. I'll like, I was just, you know, um, the Payson Scottish Festival, mm-hmm. and, and you know, that's like me sitting and just listening to like every grade five band and just like taking notes and just being. I mean, and and the, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, like I love, I love, I did listen to them, you know. Oh but yeah, like, well, especially but this like, year, right? it's like Anything the level of passion for like every single level and every just anyone who's like participating in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the art, you know. It's just like he's like 
he's just as excited for like the grade four as he is for the profession. I mean, the the grade one is. Yeah. I will give him that. He's he's very passionate, but passionate and enthusiastic for sure. Yeah, but sometimes if I'm having a bad day, it kind of like makes me mad. I'm like, man. stop being so enthusiastic about everything (laughs) why do you have to be so darn positive (laughs) can't you just like rant about something and then then you turn over to chanter (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's why those two shows like go so well hand in hand they're like the yin and yang of the bagpiping world (laughs) they are so different but i'm glad that they like talk about each other and yeah yeah, on each other's shows and stuff because they are so opposite but it's cool like how he just loves their show yeah you know and and they always make fun of everyone you know, the the so. first piece of chanterant merchandise that i ever purchased and i have purchased a few was their uh rabbi the poo um that's funny t-shirt I've seen that. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah that's clever yeah. yeah well hey um tell me tell me some more about you johnny i want to know um i want to know some of these uh, some of these fun questions like uh if you if money were no object what piece of bagpiping equipment kit or like trips or whatever you know what bagpiping related thing would you spend that money on you know if you had just like you know blink check well i'll be honest like i don't really lust after a lot of piping equipment i mean like my my pipes that i have like i'm i i'm just kind of like head over heels in love with them and uh, i'm not tell me, really, tell me about, I mean, tell me about I, the current setup. i know so i i love like lusting after other pipes and stuff but like as far i'm kind of a minimalist and so as far as like having a bunch of sets of pipes i really don't have a desire to have more than one like really nice set um i mean i over the years i will acquire another set and then i'll quickly just go back down to one and like and so i don't know i mean i just really enjoy the set and i've i so I, I play a set of nails and I just really like them. I mean, they just show off. Ah, uh, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, nails are great. Like though. we, nails we have great. a big, th- we have like a, we, we, we've had a dialogue in Wasatch for many years, like little rivalries between pipe brand pipe right. and stuff. And like every now and then I'll be, you know, I'll be standing on the side with someone else who's playing a set of nails. I'm like, man, this, this, this little corner of the band sounds just so good. Like we don't even have to, we don't even have to play good just cause we're playing nails. <laughs> no, I, but that's, that's not to say that I wouldn't, I wouldn't like anything. Like if money was no object, well, unless say time as well, I yeah, definitely sure. think I would get like a full set of Elon pipes mm-hmm. with all the regulators and everything. And then just dedicate, you know, an hour a day to, learn those because there's just something that's just so cool about that sound like actually you know i was talking about joe he he plays the illin pipes and he has a full set i believe it might be one of the only if not the only full set because i mean in utah because there's a lot of people that have half sets which are just the 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 three drones and then there's three quarter sets which have some of the regulators but not all of them and and I, I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong because I no, yeah. really don't know. I mean, know. Well, like a, a full set we, would we, have it might be the, a full the blind, set of yeah. regular. Yeah, as, as far as I know, you're saying it right. Yes, <laughs> right. And for years, I've always, and it, it's not real. I mean, money is not totally the barrier because, like, I mean, yeah, they're very expensive. So obviously, that's a bit of a hurdle to get. Like, you know, I probably wouldn't start out with a full set, but that's not as much of a barrier as just the time because I. Yeah. 
honestly, just to dedicate the amount of time that I do to Highland piping, which is not as much as I used to, mm -hmm. but like that, I, I feel, you know, balanced usually with that. Mm, you can and kind just of add a whole, a whole nother instrument like yeah. that. So it's the more so the time that intimidates me. Yeah. Um, I can understand I but that. That's, I that's also, not just... I often lament the fact that we only have 24 hours in a day. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great? Or, or, or right. really the best thing would be if you could pause time for everybody else, and then you could carve out some extra time for yourself. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I, so I, I just, I kind of, I'm content with just sticking with the Highland Pipes for now. And, and who knows, you know, maybe one day when my kids are kind of grown. I mean, I think that that's something I could transition over to. If you, if you, if you maintain the dexterity of your, your technique from your highland piping mm -hmm. like you should be able to transition over fairly well i know it's i know it's completely different technique and fingering and everything but that's just kind of what i tell myself to give myself hope that one day i'll learn oh it. i think that's reasonable you know? i mean there's no getting around the fact that like everybody who i've ever known who picked up pipes who had previously played like clarinet or saxophone or oboe or something else that you know it may not be exactly the same combinations of fingers for exactly the same notes but it is a similar set of sort of dexterous uh, tasks to be done by yeah. individual fingers and, so it does make sense that there'd be some and like transitioning away from like a competitive like, mm -hmm. like a higher grade competitive environment where every grace note matters like yeah going over to illin pipes where i mean i'm not saying technique's not important but like like if you're just sitting around in a circle playing a bunch of fun jigs like with no pressure with no judge breathing down your neck i mm -hmm. mean then like if you miss some technique, like as long as you're on rhythm and stuff, I mean, I'm sure no one's going to really care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so. it, that is part, part of the fun thing that comes with sort of the freedom of playing, even just Scottish small pipes, which are definitely, you know, less costly and yeah. less of a knowledge barrier. A lot of people are, you know, a lot of folks, a lot of Highland pipers like to get a set of small pipes just that, I mean, aside from, I guess the, the truth is that like Illum pipes with their larger range and everything, like a lot of times, if you're playing off sheet music, a lot of times it might be just the same sheet music as the fiddler is playing off of anyway. But if, if you get a book of small pipe music, often the embellishments aren't even written in there just because it's, you, you just kind of play what feels good in terms of, you know, where you're going to put a grace note or a doubling or whatever. Right. No, I, and that's, that's another thing too. I would love to get kind of back into small piping. I've never had a full official set of small pipes, but I, I did used to have, for many years, I had a set of um, Walsh shuttle pipes. Which oh, yeah, yeah. Were an A, which basically, basically, I mean, music wise, the same thing, right? Yeah, you can just sit yeah. in with small pipes. I mean, if they're in the same key mm -hmm. and it's the same fingering, you can play the same tunes. And I used to love that. And when I was in uh, the Mount Timpanogos band, you know, Joe had a set of shuttle pipes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure he still does, but like we would always incorporate those into any show that we did. Um, yeah. You know, where we would do, we would, Put the highland pipes down and we'd bring out the small pipes and maybe someone would have a guitar or you know or you know a whistle or something you know we yeah. would do something a little different and but now he's got the full irish group going too alongside yeah and a I lot go, of the I go shows, to many a lot of the shows they do they'll have the pipes and then yeah. he'll he'll bring out his irish band too and and it's it's a good it's a good system he has i mean so the yeah. the band i mean the pipe band does have an irish flair to it too like they play a lot of irish tunes and right so right. it kind of goes really well with the full irish um kaylee group mm -hmm. so. no but if money was no object okay i probably i would probably still take a look at some other pipes but you know yeah <laughs> <I'm> very, <laughs> i'll just say I, i'm very happy with 
the set of pipes that I have and actually what I would spend the money on probably was would be just I would love to go to piping live like mm-hmm. every year if I could I mean when we went with Wasatch just the whole week of the worlds it was just so cool I mean just the epicenter of the piping world with one of my coolest experiences, I'm sorry, I don't, can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, was just going to just a, a rehearsal for Field Marshal Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're just surrounded by the best piping in the world. And and there's there's not a lot of replacement for that inspiration that you can get. Like just hearing these bands, I mean, like all in one place, you know, for that whole week. I mean, I mean, on the day they're in one place, but like throughout right, the right. week, I mean, they're practicing. You just go around and just go hear all these different bands rehearsing. And then you go, you know, for lunchtime, they have like, oh, you know, Roddy McLeod's doing an hour recital, you know. And I mean, like just all the types of things that you would never have the opportunity to do here. I mean, mm-hmm. just amazing, amazing stuff. And so, you know, I I definitely would go back to Scotland a lot as much as I could and and. uh I don't know. I think that would be cool. I, yeah. I know that it's it's such a massive undertaking for the band to go. And I know that we've talked about going back, but it's just, and I think one day we will, it's just such a massive financial commitment too. And, and, but I would like to go, I would like to find a group of people maybe to go over as, as a small group, not as a band to compete, but just to soak in the whole mm. week, week long experience. Right. Just yeah, like maybe like just, a, so like get a, tourism get a bunch of guys, you know, and we can just rent like one bunch room of guys cram. being dudes. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm not excluding the girls. I was just thinking like, you know, cramming a bunch of guys in like a single room or something, you know? Right, 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 right. And so like, you know, if, if girls are more than welcome to, you know, probably get their own room and, uh, and I just go over there and just soak in a bunch of piping for the week. I mean, that was, to me, that was far more meaningful than competing at the Worlds. Mm. I mean, yeah, have I you, guess well, have if you I ever... ever get to the point, if I ever get to the point where I'm playing with a group that's like actually trying to win it, yeah. then that might be different. But like for us, I mean, yeah, we we went over there with the intentions to try to do as well as we could. Of course, we, as well as you we could. Thought, but maybe you know, recognizing that, we, you know, yeah, it was we kind thought, of the opportunity for the experience, we, we didn't, right? Yeah, you know, we obviously, we didn't end up doing quite as well as we thought, but we, but going into it, we were definitely focused and we thought yeah. we were going to, we thought we had a chance to do well. So, but that wasn't the most, for me, the most meaningful thing was like just the experience of being in Scotland, just immersing yourself in everything, like, you know, I'm going over to the uh, College of Piping and listening. I mean, I did listen to a recital from Gordon Walker. I mean, mm-hmm. we went like right out, literally right outside of our dorms. We were staying at like University of, what was it, Strathclyde? I can't remember. It's just right there. The Lord, you've heard of like the Lord Todd's Bar, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Challenge Recital. Like that's literally right there, like a stone's throw from where we were, you know, yeah. staying. I mean, Oh, well, I, I, I imagine so, this. I imagine it being something like you know, if you've ever gone like a few years competing, you know, at every Scottish festival, and then like you have a year where you're out for whatever reason, you know, you you have a kid or something, and so you go to a Scottish festival, but as a spectator, and you're just like walking around in jeans and a t-shirt and just taking it in. How much fun that can be, you know, just to be like just there to enjoy it. I imagine that being like that times a million to be able to just go yeah. to the worlds and just hang out for those couple of weeks of piping live and all that right. kind of stuff. And oh, and actually. Actually, I, I did listen to the interview you had with Eric, and he was talking about some of that stuff. 
Oh yeah, of did. course, I of mean, course. Yeah, he was like the silver, yeah. like the silver cap competition. I yeah, mean, literally. I mean, I don't even know if I can name off all the players. You had Gordon Walker, Willie McCallum, Jack Lee, Stuart Little, um, like uh, Alex Gandy. I mean, like, I, just the list goes on and on. I mean, just to hear Angus McCall, you know, like mm-hmm. a- anyone who's everyone, anyone, like, you know, just hearing him like in person, just, I mean. I honestly say we are a bit spoiled with content like with YouTube and stuff now, but there is something about just being there and hearing it and soaking it in a person, especially the bands because the band, like that sound that is just recreated from like, for example, like field Marshall, like Mm -hmm. you can't experience that even with the best headphones and the best recording. And some of these recordings out there, they're pretty good. Like drone chorus does amazing job. I mean, he does, get good audio but, but there's nothing like just standing 20 feet away from right of course yeah. i mean <laughs> that legendary sound i mean just gives you goosebumps you know well yeah and i think go- that it's probably true for really any musical performance but maybe yeah. in a special way bagpipes just because a pipe band man it's not it's not even just the pipes the big loud drums and everything you know it's just it's just a it's a space filling kind of experience and so if you're in the same space as it you know it's going to resonate with your your whole your whole self in a way that you can't recreate over headphones yeah definitely i mean some of my favorite experiences are just um we don't go to the wasatch doesn't go up to enumclaw every year but we do try to make it a habit to go up to enumclaw and then several years like our our tents have literally been pitched right next to sfu and so you like they're cir- they're, like, they're circling up for their like little rehearsal and you're just sitting in camp like chairs with like literally their circle <laughs> their circle is coming all the way up to the very edge of our tent oh, and so like we're just we're just sitting there in our little camp chairs listening like literally two feet away from <laughs> yeah. sfu you know <laughs> you're like we didn't have to pay admission for this look at this <laughs> yeah and and then you get a kind of so rather than just listen, I like to just kind of see, okay, what are they doing? Like, what's their process? You know, like, what can I learn? Like, how are they tuning their channers? How are they tuning their drones? Like you kind of just pick up those little things. Like, how are they doing it? Every band has a slightly different process, right? You, you ever just uh, put your pipes on your shoulder and just kind of work your way into a spot in the circle? Wait to see if they know. I wish, <laughs> I wish, you know, like actually like a couple years ago, right before the season that was right before COVID, one of our pipers, Jeff Henderson, got the experience to, he was over in Scotland at one of the majors and somehow he made a connection and he got to stand in with Field Marshall and just play like Green Hills or something. <laughs> and it was like a dream come true for him. And like, and, and that, it, I think it was actually reported by like Big Rab or something. There was a video and, yeah. and uh, I'm like, oh man, lucky dog. Like yeah. if I could just play green hills with field marshall like well now, now this guy's cool walking around yeah. he can say i played with field marshall montgomery yeah. <laughs> how many people can say that okay and i'll be like okay now can i just play the hard drive medley with you guys right too? yeah yeah i'll yeah, just man. play high a the whole time that's right yeah <laughs> can i just drone while you guys play it <laughs> yeah even that I would, I would be too i would be too uh terrified to even do that you know like oh my drones will throw off the balance <laughs> you know oh yeah my Definitely. subpar droning no <laughs> Well, now oh, man. it's a frivolous yeah. question, Johnny, but I do ask everybody how they feel about pineapple on pizza. You guys, you got anything to say about that? I I like it. I'm so I'm a vegetarian. So oh, 
so like all any thing that is not me i pretty much have to accept on my pizza <laughs> yeah <laughs> your options become limited right yeah how so, long how long you've been doing vegetarianism about a decade wow that's but a long I, time man I, yeah I, I never i never really liked meat even before then like i was never being meat eater mm-hmm. um and so yeah, about 10 years ago, I, I made the switch, and, like, I really don't miss it at all. But I'll tell you what I have done the last few years is I've tried to go full plant-based, which is kind of, like, the next step up so that you, like, you're avoiding dairy, kind of like a vegan diet. But yeah. then that one's been a little harder for me because, like, I'm not tempted to eat meat at all. Like, I, I really don't I don't crave it. Like, I don't, you know, it's – and it's usually not hard to find vegetarian options, but – it's a little bit harder to do the full vegan thing if you're, especially if your family is not. So like, mm-hmm. so like I've, I've done my best, you know, but I haven't. So like, I, I do say I try to eat a fully plant-based diet, mm-hmm. um, but I won't claim to be like a full vegan, mm-hmm. um, at least by not the strictest definition. <laughs> I, so. it, well, I mean, what, what little, what few dietary choices I've had to make in my life re- really just comes down to lactose intolerance, unfortunately. I, yeah. I, I used to tolerate it just fine, but dagnabbit, not anymore. And I, I can sympathize with you just because like, even that small adjustment, it can become difficult, you know, going out to eat and stuff like that. You're making a much larger adjustment. I'm sure that does become a challenge at times. Right. And I, I will say that like, Every single restaurant would have something vegetarian and yeah. most restaurants would have something vegan or that could be made vegan, but mm-hmm. like not all. So, yeah. Yeah. so like the vegan thing is more challenging. The vegetarian thing is pretty much something you can do out anywhere. Like it does. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to like a rest, like a barbecue restaurant or something, <laughs> right. It says right on the have, label, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a like meat place, right. <laughs> it reminds me of like an episode of the Simpsons where like Marge is allergic to fish and, they go to an all-you-can-eat fish right. restaurant, yeah. and she's like, "She's like, is there anything on your menu that doesn't contain fish?" The waiter's like, "No." He's like, um, "Does the bread contain fish?" "Yes." <laughs> I'll just have some water. Excellent choice. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's I brought the, some. <laughs> that's the one where they, they they finally get kicked out of the all-you-can-eat place because Homer's eating too much, and then they drive yeah, around looking for another. And, and they then go he fishing. then he finds Lionel Hutz to do the lawsuit. Yeah, that's you know, right. and he's like, "This is the most blatant." You know, false advertising since the movie The Neverending Story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love The Simpsons. I, oh, me too. I'll tell you what. Like, I grew up with The Simpsons, and that is just a part of me that I. And then, like, when they got onto streaming all the episodes on Disney Plus, yep. I'll tell you what. I binged watched all the classic years. I I really don't care much to watch like the last twenty years or so, but the nineties. <laughs> Like the '90s Simpsons will always be part of me. And I'm with you like, there, man. I will, I will always be able to go back and watch any of those early seasons. Yeah, yeah. That's so. that's. I I wasn't sure if I was going to do Disney Plus, but as soon as I realized that the Simpsons would be on there, the, that that day we had it. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm watching through right now, like while I work, you know, because I can since I've watched all of, especially the early years, so many times, right? Like this was our family ritual ritual when I was a kid. Yeah. Every Sunday oh, night, good. we'd go downstairs and sit on the couch and watch The Simpsons. And my dad would record episodes just onto a VHS tape so that we could watch The Simpsons anytime we wanted. Like, it, which is that illegal? I don't know. Maybe it was, but uh, it was oh, just for you know are you private me? viewing. Like, at home, but... <laughs> like, who didn't do that? Right, I mean, right, yeah. if you grew up, 
if you grew up in that era, I mean, it's funny, like, I grew up with where most of my friends' moms, growing up in a very conservative area, obviously, like, most most of my friends' moms probably didn't even know much about The Simpsons, but they just banned their kids from watching it. So oh, like, yes, it was like so like if you grew up, show, right? Yeah, I mean, you probably heard that too, like, oh, yep, we're not yep. allowed to watch The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, I got but some of that shame on. from my I mean, friends, it's like, really, you watch that? It's really tame. <laughs> I well, especially mean, those early years, man, like every episode has like some beautiful moral about honesty or, or exactly. family togetherness or something. I mean, I'm the person I am today because of, no, I'm just <laughs> But, but like the funny thing is, I was raised is, on like, TV and my, I turned out TV. The funny thing is, is like my dad didn't really care for it. Not because any moral reasons or anything. He just didn't really like cartoons and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. my mom, she would record them all on a uh, tape yeah. like your dad. And yeah. so like we had, we had full tapes of Simpsons. And yep. Oh my gosh, I will say that the one show that my mom didn't care for was, of course, the one that I gravitated towards during my rebellious teenage years. Mm -hmm. So Beavis and Butthead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, come on. I mean, it is funny. and So good. And I grew up, you know, I was a teenager of the 90s. And so, like, it was, like, the perfect era. Like, when they came out, like, I was Beavis and Butthead's age, basically. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time with whatever. my shirt yeah, pulled up so, on my head and saying stuff about Cornholio. Exactly. A lot of time. Yeah. And somehow it started coming up in my YouTube feed recently. And so I've been kind of, like, reliving some of that. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh. And so I don't really let my kids watch it, but they kind of caught on to what I was watching. And so <laughs> they, they were begging me to tell me about them because they just thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And so, and so like, I think they're calling them now Venus, Venus <laughs> and butthead or something. I don't know. But like, and so like every time like they come over and I'm watching something and, and then like I turn it off because maybe I don't want them to see what I'm watching yeah, or whatever. Yeah. They're like, are you watching Venus and butthead again? <laughs> <laughs> So you went from was, your parents from having to hide it from your parents to having to hide it from your kids. <laughs> I know, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm not like a prude, but I do think that Beavis and Butthead is probably not appropriate for my six year old right now. Well, so. well yeah, like it, it, it's true. Like I feel the same way. Like I, I want to be a cool dad, you know. Like I want to be cool <laughs> and stuff, right? But at the same time, like ah, there are certain things in here that like my kids will repeat because they don't understand them, and if they repeat them at school, it might not go great with the teachers. So like you know, right? Kinda, well, maybe I'll be kind of careful. I am, I am happy though that I have started to turn my kids onto the Simpsons yeah. and. And not really, like, we haven't really sat down and started watching full episodes, but I will show them, like, funniest Homer moment clips on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And, and like, they they will beg me now, Dad, can, you, can we watch Simpsons clips, yeah, please? Yeah. And it's like, mm -hmm. and so I, and that And then makes a little tear glistens in the corner of your yeah, eyes. Yeah, exactly. You say yes. exactly. <laughs> exactly, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can relate to that for sure, man. Sorry, I mean, people are like, what? Is this a bagpiping podcast? <laughs> right, yeah. Talking about? No. <laughs> Let's see how we're going to pull this back. Is there something we can do with Grandpa well, I guess the, bring it back? You know, on the, I guess, you know, at least at least we're not talking about, you know, this, this, at least it's not the same kind of um, <laughs> sidetrack that they do on the channel. Right, right I was going to say, it's not, like, it's not like we brought in a dominatrix to talk with us or uh, put on yeah, a shot collar or something. So. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, if you want to get more listeners. Hey, I'm it's sure. a strategy. <laughs> it's one way to do it. <laughs> Nope, I've got a state accountant on my show. That's what's going to pull him in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, yeah. If, if your leadership 
I mean, if your listenership doesn't double after this, after you have, <laughs> a, after you have a state auditor, you know, right? <laughs> what is gonna, what is gonna you're, bring up your? You're, you're actually the second auditor that I've had on the show. So. Oh yeah, who is the other one? Yeah, uh, if you haven't listened to Robert Baxter's episode yet, that's a really good episode, and he uh, oh, he was okay. a, he was an auditor for like the CIA for a while. Like, oh wow, international. Okay. Well, no, like, I, I think he killed I ha- people. I don't. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't had to kill anyone yet, but right. You know. <laughs> Our threshold is like if you owe more than a million, then we get to kill you. That, no, yeah, that's the official rules. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Them's the rules. Oh, I wasn't sorry. I wasn't supposed to say that. No. Yeah, my computer just exploded. <laughs> no. Well, hey no, man, let's well, um, give me give me let's let's pull pull together some kind of graceful landing for this. Now, just so yeah. you know, this is probably going to set a record for the longest episode, especially because I, and it, I, I apologize. Don't apologize. Like, it's totally no one's cool. gonna. I don't even think anyone's going to listen to this far, but like, I, I'm so sorry, but like, I don't really think, I'm not really thinking about the time. This is the first podcast I've ever done. And I just think it's fun to chat with anyone who plays bagpipes. Well, that's and this is, that am, is the know, whole so. point of this show. So don't even apologize. Cause that's exactly what it's supposed to be. And you know, if it, it's, <laughs> if it runs a little long, folks can hit the pause button and come back to it later. Not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Gonna be fine, but so, what, what can we I can say? Still apologize, what, you know? But what's something beautiful that we could do to kind of kind of bring this together? Like, um, you know, maybe, you. I mean, you tell me if this isn't good, you reject it. We'll think of something else. But I'm thinking like you've had some experiences. You've been playing pipes for a while. You know, you've 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 had the experience of leaving it, coming back, changing bands, playing in in cool places, hearing other cool people play. You've got the dystonia thing going on. You know, like it's a complex picture at this point. And so I'm curious, like. Maybe if you were talking to one of your kids, or maybe that's too close to home, maybe just somebody who hasn't, who's thinking about learning to play bagpipes, who's thinking about entering this world, you know, and you have just a few minutes to either encourage them or discourage that. Dis- discourage? Is that a word? Discourage? Yeah. Encourage or discourage them to do it. What do you say to them? Like, how would you say, like, how would you sell this experience to somebody? Gosh. You know, that's a good question. I, <laughs> And I don't know how I could really put that together into like a neat package because there's just so many different angles you can take on it. But I will say that for the couple years when I was kind of taking a step back and don't get me wrong, I still played here and there, you know, but like when I step back from like being majorly involved in pipe bands and, you know, like I just didn't feel like myself, like, and I I would tell that to my wife all the time. I'm like, I have to go back because Mm -hmm. it's just like a part of me, like, and, and I mean, you do have cool experiences, but like, I mean, I think like we're human beings and we like to be part of like-minded, like we like to form groups with like-minded people. And mm-hmm. I just think the bagpiping world is, is, it is just such a cool place because there's no way that I would have met as many different kinds of people from all walks of life, you know, like you know, with this one interest that kind of brings us together. But, yeah. and I, I will say that that is a big part of it. Like, cause is like, if, if I were to say I would never was going to play an MSR again, I mean, I probably wouldn't shed too many tears as much as I love <laughs> a good MSR, you know, mm-hmm. but the, when I was taking the break, like the thing that really kept me thinking about it was just like, I miss my friends. I miss, I miss going on band trips. I, I miss, I miss the dinners after the games where we're just being mm-hmm. ridiculous and, you know, you know, all the funny jokes and just the camaraderie. And 
I miss the teamwork of like working really hard for a common goal and you know, all these different things. I mean, so like, I think that aspect of it, just finding a place of, of belonging, you know, Mm -hmm. just of, and then the pipes themselves, of course, I think like if you're called, you know, if you're drawn to the pipes, you're drawn to the pipes and you're kind of just just stuck. But I will say that the last few years, I've kind of gravitated into doing more of the solo gigs and that type of thing. And the reason why I maybe call this a midlife crisis or whatever, but you know, in my day job, which we just talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a great job and I like it and whatever, but like, do I, what kind of life fulfillment do I get? Like Mm. there's been many times when I thought about, okay, why am I doing, I'm doing this every day. Like, how is this bettering my life and what kind of lasting fulfillment am I getting from it? I mean, like, do I need that from my day job? Like those types of questions, like, do I need to pursue something else? But then I started pursuing the gigs more because I, I just noticed every single time I did one, I mean, and you, you do a lot of the gigs, so you understand. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you have grown big, tough men, like just basically weeping, like, Mm -hmm. Because so, of, so many the, of, because of the emotional effect that mm-hmm. you were able to give them, like, yeah. th- because of what you do. And, and I'm talking about Amazing Grace, Going Home, Danny Boy. I mean, right. I'm not talking about John Morrison of Ascent House. So it's like, it's kind of like, you don't, you don't need to be a great piper to be able to give this to someone else. Like, mm-hmm. I will say like, like, yeah, be in tune, you know, have good, t- I mean, play well, mm-hmm. but like, but like to see this and, and to, you know, to get that experience week after week, you know, doing these gigs, I mean, just to see like the, to hear like the thank you responses that they send you like the next day, like yeah. of how meaningful it was to the family. This is exactly what my fill in the blank wanted, you know, yep. like, and thank you so much for doing this. Like I couldn't have imagined it any better and it was exactly what I wanted, you know, and, and like just to see that the emotional effect that it has on people. And so I say, well, that that kind of has filled a void of fulfillment. And I don't know if that's egotistical or whatever, but like, it's just, I I don't mean it to be, but like, I like being able to serve others in that way to give them something meaningful. Mm -hmm. And with the pipes, we're able to touch people and do that. And that I think, other instruments can do that too, because music is very powerful. But I think, of course, like a like a pipe played well, does that to like almost a next level that I can't imagine many other instruments being able to do. And like being able to do that and and give that experience to other people, I think that to me, I kind of separate that from the whole other competitive aspect of it, which I love too. Like mm-hmm. I love pursuing that, but I say even if that wasn't there. Like I would still carry on playing because number one, I give myself, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a great player, but like, like if those you, you play for those, those moments where like, even you're just in your basement and everything locks into tune. Mm-hmm. And afterwards when you're done, you're like, did I do that? It's you know, like, like a mystical experience. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't happen all the time. Cause like, you know, there's other days where you're like, okay, 
I'm going to list my pipes. I'm done. You know, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> no, not, not really. But like, but, that but is there where, are times, like, like there, there are days, the okay, there's going to be days where you wonder like, why am I doing this? Because this is so hard. And right, like, there's yeah. some days when nothing works. Yeah. Frustrating. But like, the more you practice at it, like if you have, you know, the better you get, like, you'll, hopefully you'll have more of those days where you're like, man, I just, this is just so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And the more you play, the better you get, the more you enjoy it. And I think that's what uh, Andrew from the dojo says, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the basis of his philosophy, you know? Yeah. And, and it's true. I mean, like, I will always keep playing. I mean, even, even if I'm not doing the competitive thing and stuff, because, number one, like, I'll have those moments where I'll, you know, just in my basement or whatever, you know, just playing where, you know, I just you're just in that trance in that zone where you're just transported and it's just like it's just such a cool experience a cool sound it's a cool instrument Mm -hmm. it's cool that we can take part in it but then also you know kind of the effect that it has on others too is just like icing on the cake for me because that you know that does kind of fill a void kind of in my life as far as a pursuit that is giving someone else you know something positive right yes and so if that makes sense like it does when, make sense. It, in my day job i don't necessarily get that even no matter if i'm the auditor of the year <laughs> no one's gonna be thanking me <laughs> yeah auditor of the year that kind of means you were the biggest jerk right <laughs> yeah exactly you got the biggest target on your back <laughs> no but no i love i just i i love it and it's great you know i i hope that so far, you know, I haven't like pushed it on my kids or anything, but if I can, if, if, if they can kind of catch on to that and gain an interest, I would love to make it a family thing. Oh yeah. I'm hoping for that as well. Yeah. I mean, and we'll see, I mean, we'll see what happens there. I mean, I've got four kids, so I got four kids. Yep.